SEP Fanfic Readings Presents Measure of a Man by In a Days 22 Chapter 10 Sanctuary May 22, 2011 Patience and understanding were key ingredients in cooking, as well as life. It was about understanding the basic raw ingredients and how to balance tastes, textures, and flavors to create meals. Hermione kept turning the thought over in her mind as she gathered everything the recipe book called for to make bolognese. It was a favorite of Narcissa's, and considering Hermione needed a healthy dose of those key ingredients to deal with the older witch, it seemed like an appropriate use of her Sunday afternoon. Preparation for another week. Hermione organized all her ingredients on the countertop, pre-measured per the recipe in individual bowls. Minced beef, pancetta, milk, wine, onions, carrots, celery, tomato sauce, paste, and spices were all ready to be added. As she worked, heating the olive oil in a pan before adding the finely chopped vegetables, she also realized that cooking involved an endless amount of beginnings. Really, each meal she prepared was another fresh start. Hermione raised the heat and added minced beef and stirred, breaking up the meat as it browned. Like people, no two recipes were the same and that sentiment extended to the Malfoys as well. While composed of the same basic ingredients, each flavor profile couldn't be more different. Next came the tomato sauce, paste, and more spices. Everything was mixed well together when she lowered the heat and added the bay leaf. Each step was executed exactly as printed in the recipe book next to her. As she waited for the pot to boil, Hermione allowed her thoughts to turn to each of the Malfoys. Narcissa's recipe gave her a dish that was delicate but potent, the flavors came out one by one over time. Though she had some understanding of Scorpius's texture, she was still trying to guess all of the ingredients that made him up. There was a sweetness to him that was natural. He clashed with Narcissa's potency, and she didn't know how to blend it with his father. Malfoy was something all his own. Strong like Narcissa, he wasn't at all delicate, just convoluted. A flavor symphony that teetered between sweet and sour, or bland and spicy. How could anyone make those contrasts blend into something congruent? The question floated around in her head as she lowered the temperature. Bolognese required a slow and patient simmer for three hours to achieve the ideal, authentic texture. Hermione gave it the time it needed by completing her other tasks. First, she checked the parchment for notes from Saxe. There were only two. Narcissa didn't like the pre-made breakfast. She prefers it fresh. It wasn't the insult it was intended to be. She will be attending dinner with the Greengrass family and Scorpius. Interesting. She wondered if Malfoy spoke to her about their conversation, or if he was even awake. The query lingered before floating off as Hermione scheduled her next meeting with Charles to check in regarding the adjusted potions. But each time she stirred the bolognese sauce, she thought about blending flavors and Malfoy's returned. Her reason for considering them all was Narcissa. They were her family, her motivation, and though she was partly responsible for the friction, it would wear on her over time. No matter how unaffected she seemed, that wouldn't do. The only way to relieve it would be to strip the three parts and focus on each dish independently of the others, which meant a little closer look at the one dish that hadn't ventured too far from her mind since. Pansy popped into her living room dressed in a black and white polka dot dress with a peach rose tucked behind her ear and pulled her hair back into a ponytail. She lowered her sunglasses before frowning at the sight of Hermione cooking. "'I was planning on Granger napping you to take you out to dinner, but you look like an orphan that's been rolling around in dirt all day.' Hermione laughed. 
I've had a productive day. The sauce was nearly done, and it was time to start the pasta. She tapped the pot on the stove with her wand, watching as it filled with water. With a flick of her wrist, she turned on the knob. A few drops of oil later, and she gave her full attention to the witch in her kitchen. Are you staying for dinner? Every one of your days is productive. As for your dinner invitation, dramatic as usual, Pansy inclined her chin, touching it delicately with two fingers, appearing wistful. Seeing as I'm such a good friend, I must keep you company. I suppose I'll... I've chilled a bottle of Chianti to go with it. Pansy put her purse down on the edge of the island. Say no more, Granger. You don't need to work so hard to convince me to stay. Hermione rolled her eyes, but smiled at her ridiculousness, noting that the water was now boiling, perfect for the linguini. You're making that al dente, right? Yes. For someone who couldn't cook, Pansy certainly had specific tastes. She removed her sunglasses, placing them on the island next to her purse, and gracefully took her seat on the bar stool across from Hermione, who was preparing their salads. How has your day been? Busy. I've got two parties to plan. A small one for Draco's birthday that I'm forcing on him because he'll only turn thirty-one once, and a much larger one for summer solstice at Theo's next month. Pansy threw parties like toddlers through tantrums, one for every holiday and birthday. Really, she barely needed an excuse organizing every detail of an event, right down to the mandatory magically binding non-disclosure agreement, with an added clause for privacy protection, gave Pansy something to do when she was bored and in need of stimuli. It also gave her the connection with people she'd never admit to needing. Whenever Pansy was morose, or when dark thoughts she'd never confessed to having started creeping into the forefront of her mind, Hermione knew she would plan a party. Theo always gave her a place because he knew she needed it. He was good like that. What's the theme of the solstice party? Floral and bohemian. It'll be outside in the clearing behind his family's country estate, so I'm thinking of a place for people to dance, music, light hors d'oeuvres, tables set up under the trees with fairy lights, and candles floating above them. Nothing fancy or elaborate. She ended with a shrug. Of course, there will be flowers incorporated into all of the decorations, which might take time, but really, it'll be simple. It didn't sound simple. Hermione stirred the pasta. Uh-huh. And how many people? A fair amount. Perhaps two hundred. I don't even know a hundred people I would want to be at a party with. Draco said the same thing when I approached him about putting a Stonehenge replica behind the estate. There's enough room, and the clearing is perfect to view it as if you were there. Only with less muggles. Pansy smiled at the skeptical look on her face. It's a social gathering, Hermione. Don't be dull. Then her smile widened. She glared at Pansy. What do you want? Two favors. One of her eyebrows lifted in curiosity. It depends. Oh, nothing elaborate. Pansy rolled her eyes. I just want a vial of your inhibition potions for the drinks, as I won't be serving wine. The potion was such a hit at my winter solstice party, and the guests said they didn't feel any different. The request was easy, even if the potion was not. Potions that lowered a person's reserves were complicated at best, couldn't be rushed, and took an incredibly long time to make likely why Pansy had put it in the request a month early. Too much and they lost their free will, acting purely on instinct. Too little and they wouldn't work at all. Just right and they would be freer with their words and slightly bolder with their actions. I'll do it. How long do you want it to last? That was an entirely different set of variables she would have to account for. Not hard, just time-consuming. I'm thinking until the last light, the last moment of daylight, the official end of the solstice. Make it strong enough for me to consider speaking to Cho. 
voluntarily, like I did for the winter solstice, but slightly stronger. You did say hello to Cho at winter solstice, and you were cheerful about it. The cringe she received was comical. Don't remind me. Hermione checked the timer for the pasta. It had a few minutes left. And what's the second favor? Oh, nothing particularly strenuous. Pansy's pause sounded more strategic than necessary. You could invite the Weasley brother with the table manners. Percy? Is that his name? Pansy blinked with wide-eyed innocence. I hardly remember. Hermione glared at her friend, who had found something particularly interesting about the jade-green cabinets, but she decided to let Pansy stew in her own denial. She could wait until they both had a couple glasses of Chianti. Her lips would be a little looser. Pansy checked her fingernails. I suppose his company won't be intolerable. Am I asking him to the party itself, or as your date? The former I'll do. The latter I won't. The former? I'll give you the invitation tomorrow. The last couple of minutes ticked away. Hermione summoned everything she needed, turned off the cooker, and set it all up in the sink to drain. Once the pasta was ready, Hermione began the process of plating. Salad first, then the linguine, then bolognese sauce. Hermione carried the plates and cutlery out to the conservatory while Pansy grabbed what was important to her, wine and glasses. Soon they were eating and drinking with the sunset as a backdrop. Pansy finished her first glass before she even started eating. How's Narcissa been since the potions debacle? Who told you about that? Theo told me that Draco figured it out. That path of communication seemed accurate. That's correct. She's not had any issues since starting on the corrected potion. Hermione took a sip of her wine and looked out at the darkening sky. Speaking of, we should have a conversation about Narcissa since you're here. Hermione expected general caginess from Pansy, but instead she got something else. I've been waiting for this for nearly a month. I'm surprised you took so long. I was a bit busy trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with her and why she started declining right after I changed her potions. Forgive me for not being quicker. You are forgiven, Pansy smiled. What do you want to know? Hermione gave her a look. Well, what I want to know and what you're willing to divulge are two different things. That would be correct, and I'm willing to make an exception. How gracious. You are doing me a couple of favors, not to mention the fact that I yelled at you about not taking her case. Would be pointless of me not to help. Which was all true. Besides, the last month or so of her ranting about you, well, outside of her horrid mood swings and the fact that she calls me Bella all the time, which is just as horrifying as it sounds, has been interesting at best. Hermione just blinked at that new bit of information. Best if she catalogued it for later. And here I was, thinking we were becoming great friends. She rolled her eyes sarcastically, which made Pansy laugh. Hermione revisited one of her earlier conversations. She did say that I reminded her of herself, though I'm certain that was a backhanded comment at best. Or maybe it was a compliment. Doubtful, Hermione replied with a dry chuckle. From what she's told you, what do you... Look, I'll be honest with you. I love Narcissa. She's been something like a second mother to me. But she likes things done in a particular way, and she's not used to relinquishing control. Especially not as much as you're asking her to give up. Sooner or later she'll have to either by choice or the disease will take it from her. I'm trying to make her realize that she needs to make adjustments in her life now to prepare for this change. She cannot be in control of everything, and she should, but look at it from her perspective. You're asking her to change a lot in a very short amount of time. You're asking her to give up a large part of who she is. 
I didn't say she had to completely give up on society, in fact. I'm going to observe her book reading tomorrow just to see how she is when she doesn't know I'm around. My reason for asking her to step back is that at some point, her disease won't let her operate at the capacity she does now. She'll have to stop running Scorpius's education, society events, everything. I'm trying to help ease her into that transition, but don't you think she knows this? Pansy sat her fork on the plate and leaned back. She knows that she'll decline to the point where she won't know herself or anyone else. I think she's taking comfort in the routine before she has to come to grips with reality. I understand that, but there's the second issue. You. But you can't change yourself, so nothing to do there. Hermione tilted her head. Me? Pansy chuckled into her glass. A little insight on Narcissa. People treat her one of three ways. She held up one manicured finger. One, with respectful reverence that she has earned through her name, wealth, and fame, or her philanthropy since the war. Then a second. Two, with scorn and contempt. Even though Lucius died, the manor has been burning for thirteen years, and their prime targets for Death Eaters, some people don't feel that the Malfoys have suffered enough. Pansy added a third finger. Or three, with awkward confusion, like they have no idea how to feel about her. Hermione thought that sounded accurate. You don't fit into any of those categories, Granger. She's also not used to anyone speaking to her the way you have. Pansy shook her head before laughing to herself. Did you really tell her? The witch stopped herself. Knowing you, everything she has accused you of saying is likely true. Also, Draco confirmed it. Ah, so he had heard more than she thought. Hermione merely shrugged. She gave unsolicited advice like she didn't expect a challenge. Meanwhile, I have never backed down from one. In that part of your life, yes. Pansy gave her a meaningful glare that Hermione returned just as stubbornly. Speaking of challenges... Pansy shook her head before chewing on her bottom lip. Do you think you'll be able to regulate her condition? Hermione shifted her weight from one foot to the other. It's too soon to tell after the mishap. The potions have helped so far. At the very least, she's sleeping better. But she's not exactly forthcoming about any symptoms she does experience. That needs to change. Give her time. She'll come around. Whether she comes around or not, that's not my only concern. This is a job she hired me to do. She wants time, and I can't give it to her without transparency on her part. I'm giving it on mine. Hermione ate more from her plate while Pansy drank first, then joined in. Several minutes of companionable silence passed before Hermione settled on a question. How long have you known about her condition? Pansy sighed the sigh of someone faced with having a conversation she would much rather avoid. She would occasionally forget things, but I don't think anyone thought it was out of the ordinary until she took Scorpius to the tailor to be fitted for robes for Astoria's funeral and returned home without him. Hermione stopped eating. What? I was there with Daphne and Draco. They were making arrangements together when she came in. When Draco asked where Scorpius was, she looked at him and she had no idea what he was talking about. I'll never forget. She said, You're too young to have a son. And then all hell broke loose. All she could do was blink wildly. Where was Scorpius? Likely terrified and confused. Lost. She couldn't imagine. He was still at the tailor where she'd left him, and the owner was just completing the fitting. He said she went to look at a different color robes while he was doing measurements, and when he turned around, she was gone. He pretended like nothing was amiss so as not to distress Scorpius. She sighed, rubbing her temple. He wasn't talking by that point, but I doubt he noticed anything was wrong. Hermione deeply doubted that. Any other incidents? 
Over the last three years? Hmm. I can think of several, thanks to hindsight. More when I was staying with them after my divorce. During tea, she would forget what she was talking about, who I was, or where we were. It still happens. She calls me Andromeda sometimes, but mostly Bella. I never say anything to correct her, just go along with it. Smart. Exactly what she would advise. Let's see. Before her diagnosis, her hands would shake uncontrollably. She would sweat and get agitated. Once she apparated across the rooms accidentally. I'm honestly surprised she didn't splinch herself. She's wandered off loads of times over the last two years. Draco probably has a better account of it. He's been dealing with it longer. Had to force her to see a healer. From what I gather, things aren't great between them. No, they aren't. They're both stubborn as fuck and refuse to bend. They might not speak much outside of a very select topics, but he won't let her go anywhere without security. That sparked her interest. How long has she had security? Years, she assumed, given everything she knew and didn't know about the Death Eater threats the Malfoys had faced. At least since the letter started, or since they moved back to London. There were incidents in the past, of course, but Draco hired them the day after she left Scorpius. That was his last straw. Which meant they were hired for more than just protection from threats. They were hired to protect her from herself. After recalling her accusations about him being more concerned with the threat of Death Eaters than what was actually killing his mother, Hermione inwardly winced. She hadn't been entirely right in that assumption. Not that Malfoy had been open with his reasons, but... Well, like she'd said to Harry, it wasn't like him to be forthright. At that point, Hermione began to wonder what she had gotten right about him. Didn't seem like much. Questions. Hermione had plenty of them, and they were all threatening to burst forth at once. However, she knew better. Was more patient. Knew she couldn't ask them all at once. In fact, she waited to ask any more until after they were finished with their meal and sitting on the sofa, enjoying wine and the ambiance of the darkening sky. The fairy lights had only just come on, adding enough light for Hermione to really see the rose in Pansy's hair. It wasn't decorative, but alive. Now that was a question she could ask. You're wearing a real rose in your hair. Of course, you would notice. Pansy took a delicate sip of Chianti. Weasley's been sending them. Just one rose a week. Every time I come close to forgetting him, another rose shows up. Smart. Weasley? Hermione gave her a knowing look. The one you don't know? Oh, fuck you, Granger! Pansy glared at her, but there was no heat behind it. They were both relaxed from the Chianti and the comfortable mood between them, which had taken years to perfect. I happen to hate it very much, thank you. I'm not interested in being courted. She didn't believe Pansy for a second, not when she had his flower in her hair, but she didn't press for more details. Her friend would talk on her own terms, be honest in her own way, and Hermione would be ready to listen when that happened. That was how they worked. Hermione drank a bit of Chianti, enjoying the flavor. I wasn't under the impression that there were rules to courting for purebloods. I thought it was all contracts, arrangements, and societal machinations. Of course, you're not wrong, but you're not entirely right, either. It depends on the family's status. I was the only girl, so my marriage contract basically auctioned me off to the highest bidder. Pansy shrugged like it was normal, even though she'd run from that life. I won't say I understand it. You are quite expressive with your disapproval, Granger. You're not as subtle as you believe. In fact, Narcissa said that you looked like you smelled something rotten when she talked about contracting Draco's second marriage. Well, there was no denying how she felt about it. The entire matter is archaic. Pansy crossed her legs properly, reclining on the sofa. It's the pure blood way. But you don't subscribe it to it anymore. 
Not entirely, but I can't help the way I was raised. It's ingrained into me, taught to me by tutors and governesses and my mother. Pansy finished her wine, placing her glass on the table in front of her. No matter how removed I am from it, that life is a part of who I am. I still catch myself walking how I was told to, speaking when I should, and reaching for a dress that I would usually wear. Pravati wanted to get a tattoo that I immediately rejected the idea because tattoos are somewhat of a taboo in society. Hermione almost choked. Sorry, what? Tattoos are what? No respectable pure blood has one, the other which stated, as if it was obvious. They have a negative connotation, especially given Voldemort, and it's also unseemly to mark up your body. Of course, now all she could think about was the color on Malfoy's left arm. What else would be considered unseemly? Just to understand Narcissa better. Facial hair, but that's becoming more acceptable with time. It's still frowned upon in certain circles in more traditional families. Narcissa complains about Draco's facial hair until he gets irritated and shaves it off. And then he lets it grow again. He's moody like that. She pursed her lips. What else? Hmm. Short hair on both wizards and witches. Being divorced or unmarried past a certain age. Honestly, there are so many more. What about children? Hermione's attempt at casual fell flat as Pansy's blue eyes settled on her. Ah, so you've met Scorpius. Not a question, but a statement. Pansy leaned forward and refilled her glass with the last of the wine like she was going to need it. Go on. I know you have a million questions. I'm not certain how much help I'll be. Theo has a better grasp of the situation. I met him when he was two and wasn't around much, but I'll answer what I can. Interesting. Hermione made a gesture. I'll let you speak freely. The fact that he doesn't talk is a source of stress for Narcissa. She's tried everything to get him to talk. Coercion, mainly. She does everything except outwardly expressing her frustration. Which was a good thing, Hermione supposed. Nothing works. He's incredibly strong-willed for a five-year-old. I wouldn't talk either if she treated me like she treats him. Pansy sighed. Between Daphne, Theo, and now you. Scorpius is well taken care of, no doubt about it but his emotional care leaves a lot to be desired. How can you ignore how coldly she treats him? How can you revere her when she... I've had this argument with her so many times in the last six months that I am sick of the words, but she insists on doing things her way. She thinks she's making him strong. Pansy swirled the wine in her glass. I know you don't understand my relationship with her. Daphne and I fought all the time about it, but I can say that you can care about someone and not like their choices. There was so much more that she wanted to say, but wouldn't allow herself. Scorpius wasn't a patient. But she's got to know how his silence is an obvious sign that he's grieving and needs help. Last night I told Malfoy that he needs help, and he— What? Said that he talked to his mother about it? Yes. Do you honestly think that Narcissa would put him in counseling? That's like admitting that he has a problem. They're not perfect. Draco can try, but he won't succeed. She had a point. There weren't many that sought out help in her department. Many still thought of mental health as a taboo topic. Okay, but she's not his father. Malfoy, traditionally, he has little to do with Scorpius's care right now. He's too young. Hermione stared at her as if she were speaking a different language. What exactly does that even mean? It's the pure blood way. She took a breath, patience vanishing rapidly. Pansy, if you say that one more time... The witch gave her an irritated look that matched her own. You asked, Granger, and now I'm telling you. You're going to call it antiquated, but this is how it works in pureblood families. Witches take care of the children up until a certain age. 
they handle their lessons, etiquette, preparing them for society, and they fulfill their emotional needs. Everything. Fathers are rarely involved with a child's care. That's how it is, Pansy examined her nails like she was explaining something as common as time. Hermione felt a rant building, welling inside of her like a shift in the tide. But she stopped herself and listened to what her friend had to say. If he were a girl, Narcissa would continue preparing him for society. But since he's a boy, when Scorpius turns eight, Draco will step in, take over, and teach him like his father taught him. Hermione waited several long moments. You're absolutely right. That is completely traditional. I know it's a swear word for you, but to some people it's a way of life. Pansy took another long pull of her wine. I learned from my mother, who learned from hers, and so on. I know that with Scorpius, the lessons Draco will teach will be very different from his father's teachings, as he had a rapid change of heart during and after the war. Never mind that. Hermione dismissed the thought of Draco teaching his son. That didn't matter, because Scorpius was three years off, and a lot would change for them in those three years. First being, Narcissa has dementia. She's only going to decline from here. Now, at what rate, I'm still not certain. But who will take over his care when she's unable to? His nanny? Or his tutors? People who don't know him? Or Draco's new wife? At Hermione's sharp recoil, her friend sighed. I already know what you're thinking, and you're wrong. I'm not thinking anything at all. She bit back what she wanted to say and finished her wine. Liar. When Hermione said nothing in her own defense, her friend sighed. It's not uncommon for him to marry again. In fact, it's expected. I won't deny the fact that I believe Narcissa's disease is making her focus hard on that one-year deadline. I know she's making him marriage meetings and attending gatherings. Well, she looked momentarily uncomfortable. That's part of the reason. It's disgusting. Hermione realized she was gripping the stem of her empty glass too tightly and set it on the table. He should be focused on his son, not finding a new wife. His focus remains elsewhere, much to Narcissa's frustration. With a tired exhale, Pansy tilted her head up, observing the darkening skies. After such a wonderful day, it looked ready to rain, with clouds rolling in from the south. Draco is complicated, and I'll need more wine to discuss him. I understand him both less and more than I did when we were teenagers. However, it goes without saying that he's always been... Draco. That also sounded like a vast understatement, but Hermione didn't dare speak that out loud. He's always been faced with difficult decisions, always had so much on his shoulders. He struggles with the weight of it all, and he tries to do the right thing for his family, even if the choice he makes isn't always the right one. I know for a fact he has zero interest in remarrying. He didn't want to marry in the first place, neither did Astoria. At least not to him, but that's neither here nor there. Hermione blinked a couple times, trying to catch the parts that Pansy had blazed through, knowing for certain that she'd missed something along the way, but unable to pinpoint what, or remember every word of what had been spoken. Still, she had one question about what she had caught from Pansy's tumble of words. If he's not interested, then why go along with it? Why let his mother orchestrate his remarriage at all? The question was left in the universe for so long that she had no idea if the other witch would acknowledge it or let it scatter to the corner of the sky. Fade into nothing. Pansy broke the silence just as it was shifting into uncomfortable. I had to be burned off my family tree to live and choose for myself, but Draco has never had the opportunity to do the same. May 23, 2011 
Hermione had a talent. Well, she had many, but one was noteworthy considering her fame as the brains. She knew how to blend into crowds and become invisible, either out of absolute necessity or selfish desire, and though ideal, she didn't need Polyjuice Potion to do it. The secret was to become a different person, someone not Hermione Granger, someone washed out and forgettable, a face and nothing more. And that wasn't just accomplished by dressing differently, changing her makeup, or taming her recognizable hair. It was about changing her body language, about not sitting alone. Mingling was necessary, but not starting random conversations with strangers, only joining them. And the most important tip, being confident in the fact that anyone notable who attended upscale charity events didn't pay any mind to those who weren't worthy of their time or attention. Those who weren't on their level, those who weren't instantly recognizable. Narcissa never noticed her. It had been a busy week for her patient, as the witch was hosting her third charity event, and it was only Wednesday. Narcissa had been so preoccupied over the last few days that she'd barely had time to argue or criticize Hermione and her care, much less complain about her meals. In fact, she had eaten every breakfast and lunch Hermione had prepared without fuss. It was the perfect time to see just how stressful Narcissa's life was, which was why she was in an elegant, decorated ballroom that had surprisingly intimate feel. Tonight's social gathering was for the Orphans of the Wizarding Wars, one of the many charities the Older Witch supported. The event had opened with a moving reading from her biography, which was still as popular as ever. But other than that, it was nothing more than Narcissa floating around the room, engaging with donors, wealthy families, and fans rich enough to afford the thousand-galleon seat alike, while Malfoy dutifully stood next to her, clean-shaven and in proper wizarding attire, all black. He looked bored. Well, no matter. Narcissa's lack of awareness worked for what Hermione needed to do, observe. Hermione watched her for any blank moments, any signs of confusion or distress, even the subtle ones like tremors or sweats, or physical ones like any slow movements or rigidity. Hermione also watched out for any change in alertness or attention. Overall, her observation had been a bust. However, there had been one moment that her face had momentarily tensed, but it ended up being nothing as she cut her eyes over to her son after he'd said something to an older-looking gentleman after he presented a stunningly beautiful witch. Whatever Malfoy had said hadn't amused his mother one bit. Outside of that moment, there was nothing noteworthy. It had been a good night, and Hermione was glad for it. For her, she deserved it. That thought caused her surveillance to shift from monitoring her as a healer to observing her as a person. Hermione knew about her book, everyone did, but she hadn't been cognizant of the extent of its reach. Over ten years had passed since its release, and she was still reading passages from it, still auctioning signed copies for charity. It was impressive. As Hermione mingled, weaving in and out of conversations, she did so with a growing awareness of just how many of the event's attendants still clamored to get Narcissa's good graces still were intrigued by the Malfoys as a whole, wanted to be associated with them, seen with them, know them, or in several cases, become a part of them. And while her son had a certain appeal, it had to do with her. That night, Narcissa was beautiful as always in stunning emerald robes, her blonde hair twisted into a graceful coiffure. Life, time, and progressing illness could not, and had not, withered her. There was so much life in her, so much shrewd intelligence and poise that Hermione found herself much like the other guest, just stuck watching Narcissa Malfoy in her element. The public gravitated towards Narcissa like moons around a planet, believing they were close when in actuality they were stuck in her orbit. 
millions of kilometers away. Her intent all along had been to attract, not to allow them into her atmosphere, because then they might be able to see past her surface and mine their way into the core of who she was, see the cracks and flaws she hadn't exposed in her book, the dull parts that hadn't been buffed to perfection, and in doing that, perhaps they wouldn't revere her so much. Or they would love her more because of those imperfections. Those were the aspects of Narcissa that reminded Hermione of her humanity, reminded her that Narcissa was more than her conventional beliefs, more than their differences, friction, and clash of wills, more than just a patient. And it made Hermione wonder if there was a part of her that could get to know Narcissa on that level, a part that could understand the older witch simply because those cracks and flaws reflected something. Something that reminded Hermione of her own imperfections. The appearance of an unfamiliar witch in her line of sight pulled Hermione from her thoughts. She was taller, thanks to her heels, with blue eyes that contrasted her black hair, which was pulled back into a low bun that highlighted her high cheekbones and slender neck. Her robes were as black as her hair, modest but snug enough to show off her figure. Oh, hello. Hermione's eyes flickered down, noticing Narcissa's signed book in her hand. It wasn't the first time someone had approached her that evening, but it was typically single wizards. Oh, and the lone married one that she had sent immediately on his way after noting the pale line on his ring finger. Do we know each other? she asked, already knowing the answer. Oh, no. I'm Olivia. I just spotted you standing here looking at the Malfoys and thought I'd say hello. Naturally, Hermione almost argued, but she had been staring. She put on a pleasant smile, but the woman wasn't finished. Have you been formally introduced? Hermione blinked. To who? Why, the Malfoys, of course. Olivia scoffed as if she couldn't believe how silly Hermione was being. You can't be invited to a marriage meeting without an introduction. Oh, no. Hermione shook her head. I am certainly not looking to contract myself into a marriage. When the other woman realized that Hermione wasn't in competition, she softened. Or rather, she began to brag. My father introduced me to his mother with the hopes of securing a marriage meeting with Draco. We may be half-bloods, but my family owns Madame Mulkins as well as several clothing lines. My dowry is quite substantial. So, she was very rich. Hermione pretended to care. Wow. Not noticing the sarcasm in her tone, the strange woman continued unbothered. I think it will be enough to secure a meeting, and I'll let my charm do the rest. Rumor has it he's not looking to remarry— but I think I'm persuasive enough. She lifted her chin and put on a sly, knowing smile. I know what men like him want. Oh, definitely. Exactly. Olivia smiled like she'd found a kindred spirit. A little of that, and I'll be the next Mrs. Malfoy in no time. My parents will be elated. Good luck with that, Hermione almost said, but only just barely managed to stifle herself. Have you met him yet? The witch stole another glance at the unsmiling Malfoy air. Only from afar. Her eyes lingered for a second. But I'm hoping to by the end of the evening. How do I look? Lovely. That wasn't a lie. Hermione really tried not to ask her next question. But what harm could it do? It was conversational at best. What do you know about him? She nodded in Malfoy's direction. To observe. While Narcissa charmed a nicely dressed pair, a witch who looked at least a decade younger than Malfoy offered her hand to him while smiling in a simpering sort of way. Sharp gray eyes cut from hers, down to her extended hand, then back up before the corners of his mouth quirked into a frown, and he turned his attention elsewhere. The smile on the girl's face crashed and burned. 
For a moment Hermione felt bad for her, a little indignant because of his behavior, but then she remembered the intent behind her action and reasons for getting close, and her sympathy went out the window. Meanwhile, Olivia barely noticed. "'I know that he's rich, eligible, and comes from an influential family. The rest doesn't matter. At least he's attractive for someone so cold. Thank Merlin for that.' She started to chuckle, thinking Hermione would join in. She didn't. Nowhere in that did she mention Scorpius, which was extremely off-putting. And after the awkward moment, Olivia sobered and cleared her throat while gripping the book in her hands. "'Well, best of luck to you, Olivia. I really must be going.' Startled by her abrupt farewell, the woman just nodded. "'Oh, well, it was nice to meet you.' Her eyes narrowed in confusion. "'I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name.' Quick on the uptake, she thought of a name that was inconspicuous, forgettable. Her middle name. "'Jean.' "'Oh, well, Jean, it's been wonderful to meet you.' "'Likewise, future Mrs. Malfoy.' The witch giggled, flushing prettily. Hermione made her way towards the exit, passing people by who barely gave her a glance. She was just another face in the crowd, after all. She didn't matter because she wasn't memorable. Even Olivia had already moved on and was now chatting with the latest of Malfoy's rejects, patting the sullen witch on the back, not believing at all that she may end up just like her by the night's end. But that wasn't Hermione's problem, and she silently wished the witch luck. Now that her task was complete, there was only one task left—leaving. Hermione was only a few steps from the door when she felt something strange. She looked over her shoulder to figure out what it was, and, well, the moment called forth another reminder. She wasn't always the most observant person in the room. She wasn't always the smartest or the quickest, either. There was always someone better. Someone that didn't quite fall into line with expectations. Someone who already hadn't. Someone whose gray eyes had locked on her from across the room, trapping her in his gaze. Hermione froze, heart stuttering in her chest, until... Wait, she had nothing to hide and every reason to be there. She held his even gaze, noting the way his eyebrows rose slowly in question. But instead of making his mother aware of Hermione's presence, his mouth lifted into a wry smirk. Then Malfoy looked away, moved on, resuming his conversation with a wizard who appeared baffled by his moment of distraction. The man had even looked in her direction and didn't see her. At least not the way Malfoy did. May 25th, 2011 Narcissa Malfoy had never exercised for fitness purposes a day in her life, and it showed. When hosting and entertaining, or even existing, she possessed the grace and elegance of a bygone era. There was a presence about her that caused people to look whenever she entered any room, an energy that made everyone take notice. Infectious. Just because she was immune to Narcissa's charms, just because they had vastly different attitudes and beliefs that clashed like two armies vowing to take no prisoners, it didn't mean she was blind to it. it didn't mean she didn't notice, or respect it, privately. Consistently, Hermione met the challenge each day as Narcissa's healer, never backed down from the continuous test of having a patient that was as strong-willed as herself. However, now that her potions had been corrected, and she was leveling out, it was time to tackle another aspect of her care, namely physical activity. Hermione watched as every ounce of that poise and dignity evaporated within the first few steps of their scheduled walk outdoors. It was a source of humor for her, a moment that showed Narcissa's humanity in such a bizarre way that she often had to stifle her mirth behind her hand. It had taken five whole minutes into their first walk for Hermione to realize just why Narcissa hated exercising so vehemently. 
Narcissa hated sweating, hated the physical aches that followed a good long walk, hated everything that had anything to do with the act. That knowledge didn't stop Hermione from changing into trainers and approaching Narcissa as she reviewed her schedule while sipping tea. Let's take a walk, shall we? I assure you I am very busy. Narcissa was tense, her voice as crisp as the early morning air. The vertical lines between her eyebrows were so firmly grooved that Hermione had to assume that her expression, and outright refusal, would have been her instinctive reaction to any suggestion in that moment. Not just walking. Her mood now had Hermione's attention. Not to combat it, but to figure out the source and determine if it was worthy of the stab of concern she felt as her healer. Narcissa was temperamental at best, but this was something unusual that made it noteworthy. In truth, Narcissa had been in quite a horrific mood all morning. After Scorpius was hurried along to his lessons by his nanny, Zippy had reported to her that morning that Narcissa had returned extremely late after last night's charity event, her second of the week, and ignored all his attempts at rousing. When she entered the kitchen about an hour later than usual, Narcissa looked as if she hadn't slept a wink. She was flushed and quiet, agitated to the point where she would have spilled her tea had Hermione not used magic to save the cup. And it had still been a close call. But after breakfast and potions, her mood improved. Until now. Hermione sat on the sofa next to her, wand in hand, several diagnostic charms at the tip of her tongue. How are you feeling right now? Annoyed, she shut her planner and sent it to the table with a smooth push of magic. I despise walking, yet here you are. All of her slowly mounting worries temporarily vanished as she suppressed her laugh by clearing her throat. I've already explained the importance of having a physical activity routine. We've been lax on it, but now that your symptoms have leveled off, I feel it's a good time to integrate it. At that, she earned a dark glower. We can compromise. Is there an activity that you enjoy doing so that we can substitute? Narcissa offered a testy look in response. I am going to the spa today, as recommended. In fact, I leave within the hour and will return before dinner. Good for circulation, but not exercise. I only suggested walking as its lower-impact activity. Perhaps swimming. Sippy told me that there's a pool inside. That is Draco's domain. He swims twice a day, sometimes more. Narcissa waved her hand with a casual poise. I myself have never gone down there, nor do I intend to, as I find the act tedious and unbecoming. Unbecoming of what, exactly? But Hermione didn't ask that. She knew how and when to pick her battles. She'd also learned that sometimes, if she waited long enough and let things settle, she wouldn't have to fight at all. Narcissa's eyes softened as if struck by a memory, fiddling with the ever-present ring around her neck, as she often did when contemplating. "'I enjoy gardening as a whole,' she confessed softly, much to Hermione's surprise. "'It was the only task at the manor I did not allow the elves to do, the only task I did with minimal magic. I happened to find it incredibly relaxing,' and the outcome is always rewarding, so I don't mind the labor. Which meant she didn't mind sweating, as long as it was on her own terms. It made perfect sense. Amongst all their differences, it was something that they had in common. Something she could work with. Something they could grow from. I have a greenhouse and a garden that regularly needs work, if you're interested. Narcissa contemplated it for a moment, before smoothing down the front of her robes. I suppose it will do for your required physical activity— her tone was so dry it could have caught fire, but Hermione caught a hint of color in her cheeks and a twinkle in her eye and verified her true feelings. Delight. For the second time, Hermione suppressed her smile with her fist, but for an entirely different reason. 
She cleared her throat. I'll add it to your schedule. See that you do. Narcissa glanced at her watch. I prefer to garden in the morning after breakfast. We can begin tomorrow. I'll be sure to schedule that in. While Narcissa continued her tea, Hermione sat in patient silence, but not for long. How are you feeling on the potions? More like myself than I have in months. However, I have noticed that the afternoon potions increase my appetite, and that simply won't do. There's nothing to be done about that, I'm afraid. Are there not other alternatives that would remedy this? I am aware it sounds vain, but it is concerning. I can look into an alternative. At the look of relief on Narcissa's face, Hermione added a disclaimer. I'm not making any promises. I understand, the older witch nodded. Also, there is one matter I wish to discuss with you. Oh? Particularly about your meals. Hermione visibly relaxed, but readied herself for an argument until she noticed a hint of hesitation. It reminded her of Malfoy, which tickled her curiosity. I understand that we have agreed to one meal a day during the week. However, I am finding everything I eat outside of breakfast dissatisfying and unpalatable, which might as well have been a compliment. I understand that our agreement, if you like, I can add dinner, something hearty but healthy. I can make meals ahead of time for you, enough to last through the week and weekend, something that can be reheated or charmed to remain fresh. At the little sign of interest, she continued, We can come up with a menu based off the fruits and vegetables in season. I can start preparing snacks to curb your appetite after your potions. We can adjust it to your taste. Narcissa finished her tea and leaned forward, placing it on the glass coffee table facing the fireplace. I would like that. Good. Feeling more than accomplished, as that had been the most she'd gotten out of Narcissa since becoming her healer, Hermione started to rise when the witch seated next to her said something that kept her seated. Also, I quite enjoy your tea selection, but would like to be afforded the opportunity to sample other blends. As you wish, Hermione smiled. Any particular preference? Once Narcissa left for the spa following a pleasant lunch where they scheduled time for her to garden, Hermione decided to treat her patient with a surprise dinner of baked wild salmon and salad upon her return, elated by her progress that had made on several fronts. Dinner preparation had been easy. The tip with salmon was to not season it too early, or the salt would break down the proteins and draw moisture out of the fish. So until Hermione was ready to bake, she went about preparing the salad. Normally, she would have made it warm with asparagus heads, fennel, and radishes, but instead, knowing Narcissa's preference for refreshing foods and cold salads during the warmer months, she created a blend of freshly picked spinach and arugula, tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers with a sherry vinaigrette she'd made that wouldn't be too strong. Simple yet flavorful. By the time Scorpius's nanny entered the kitchen with purposeful rubber-soled strides, Hermione was busy humming to herself while slicing tomatoes and cucumbers. She looked up to greet the witch the same way she always did, with a distant yet polite hello, but halted when she noted the frustrated grimace on her face. Panic rolled off her in waves while she purposefully searched the living room, looking under the table and behind all the furniture, likely Scorpius-related. It wasn't that he was wild, quite the opposite, but even on a good day, Catherine Pritchard barely had her wits about her. Hermione thought it had a lot to do with Narcissa's need for strict routines and order, or it had to do with the fact that Catherine, at twenty-one, was almost too young for such an encompassing position and incapable of standing up for herself, especially when Narcissa was being unreasonable. It was a wonder she had kept the nanny on, or hired her in the first place, but Hermione got the impression that Catherine was the latest caretaker of a long list that had come before her, all driven away for a variety of reasons that Hermione wasn't privy to.
but what she did know was that the help always talked, which meant one thing. Catherine, however inexperienced, would be hard to replace. The witch only spotted Hermione the island when her search turned to the kitchen. Her face smoothed into a tight smile, but did nothing to hide the fact that she was troubled. "'Hello, Miss Granger.' She tried not to bristle, but being called Miss Granger by someone easily ten years younger than her made her feel incredibly old. "'Please call me Hermione.' It wasn't the first time she'd said this, but her request fell on distracted ears as Catherine pulled open the cupboard, looked inside, and shut it with frustrated groan. "'I wish locator charms worked in this house!' "'Oh, if you're looking for Narcissa, she's gone to the spa, and we'll be back later.' Catherine's shoulders sagged in relief. "'Thank you for letting me know that. But I'm not looking for Narcissa for the status update.' She and Zippy seemed to rotate the task of updating Narcissa on her grandson's lessons with his tutors. It didn't make much sense to Hermione. None of it did. Why hire a nanny when she had perfectly capable house elf that could, with a snap of his fingers, easily handle all matters concerning both housework and child supervision? Strange, but also none of her concern. Catherine looked around as if Narcissa might be eavesdropping. In truth, I've lost Scorpius. Hermione's eyes widened, her task instantly forgotten. Sure, he was quiet, but how could she possibly lose an entire child? The nanny cringed, clearly reading Hermione's expression. I know, but I was discussing a timetable for when we would be adding Latin lessons with his tutor, and Zippy was off cleaning. When I turned around, Scorpius was gone. Have you seen him? To keep her distaste to herself about a five-year-old's strict schedule, Hermione squatted down to the lower cabinet she was in front of to grab the salad bowl. I have—oh, my goodness! She nearly lost her balance, heart hammering like a wardrobe in her chest. Instead of her bowl, she found Scorpius. His blue eyes went wide with shock as he clutched the open dictionary tightly to his chest, no doubt wrinkling the pages. He had been just as startled as Hermione, but unlike her, he hadn't made a sound. There were several questions running around like people escaping from a smoke-filled room, but the first one was the most important. How long had he been there? Hermione instinctively looked around the space he'd created, spotting her bowl directly next to his feet. It wasn't too cramped. Outside of the kitchen items she'd left to stop the back and forth, there was hardly anything in the storage space inside the island. It was the perfect crawl space for a child who was currently staring at her like an owl. Miss Granger? The now alarmed Catherine appeared at the end of the island. Are you okay? Um, Hermione gripped the open cabinet door, blinking at the little boy. Instantly she noted the sharp spike in his anxiety as he started to fidget and look for an escape. The level of stress coming from a child so young bothered her on a deeper level than she cared to admit. I... And it really, really wasn't any of her business. Truly it wasn't. Not in the slightest. But she had never quite gotten the mental image of him falling apart out of her head, and she hadn't been able to forget him calling for his mother while asleep in his father's arms. She continued moving his cup each morning and waving him goodbye, all while feeling more and more drawn to him unable to look away, like now. Scorpius's eyes turned desperate, holding onto hers like a lifeline. The world began slowing on its axis, not because she had made a decision, but because it had been made before she knew there was one to make. I haven't seen him. Genuine surprise spread across the little boy's features, and she ripped herself from his gaze, turning her head towards Catherine. Then she stood. Sorry for alarming you. I've forgotten a bowl I was looking for, but no, I haven't seen him. If I do, I'll bring him to you straight away. Thank you. Catherine smiled so genuinely she felt bad for lying. Almost. 
He's especially good at hiding when he's tired of lessons. I'll check his normal spots. Good idea. Hermione reached for her wand as soon as the nanny turned her head. With a whisper, she cast a charm that would ensure she wouldn't return. It was a simple charm, really, nothing that would hurt her. But any time she thought of the kitchen, another room with another hiding spot would pull her away. The nanny went stiff the moment the spell made contact, but kept walking, her shoes echoing on the wood floor as she went. Positive that Catherine wouldn't come back, Hermione set her wand on the counter and sank onto her knees, resting back on her heels. If at all possible, Scorpius looked even cagier. Hermione wondered why, but the answer was as clear as glass. Outside of seeing her every morning at breakfast, and their lone interaction beyond that, Scorpius didn't know her, or trust her. First things first, a reintroduction. Hi, she extended her hand with a soft, sincere grin. I'm Hermione. It must have been a Malfoy thing, because Scorpius studied at her hand, as if it were a particularly confusing word in the dictionary he still clutched to his chest. Then his eyes flicked back to hers. Ultimately, Scorpius made no attempt to accept what she was offering. Instead, he carefully smoothed the wrinkles from the page of his beloved book. While she hadn't expected to see a child so reverent about a book, Hermione had anticipated the snub. She wasn't offended. Do you want to come out of there? Scorpius shook his head. No surprise there, either. With a patience reserved for children and animals, Hermione's head bobbed with a nod and she pushed her hair over her shoulders. That's fine. She paused and gestured to the book. Can I see what you're looking at? It was an innocent enough request for him to comply, maneuvering the large book so she could see the page. Then he pointed at the plant. Ah, that was simple. She tucked her hair behind her ear, making herself as non-threatening as possible. Do you like plants, Scorpius? Still hesitant, he answered with a slow nod. It was enough. I love them, too. Hermione disclosed with a soft smile. Blue eyes narrowed at her warily, and Hermione was amused at how expressive Scorpius could be despite his silence. So much that I keep them close. In fact... Blindly, she reached up and felt around until her hand came into contact with her beaded bag, and she pulled it down. Scorpius observed with growing curiosity as half her hand disappeared into the bag, before finding what she'd been looking for. A sprig of mint. She offered it to him. Here. Without accepting, Scorpius examined the herb closely. He was so completely focused on the task that Hermione had all the time in the world to just observe him, unable to do anything else. Scorpius wore his normal attire, blazer, white shirt, shorts, and socks to his knees, like a proper schoolboy. Nothing amiss there. Well, except for the fact that he was hiding in a cabinet with a book. For some unknown reason. A feeling had settled deep in her gut ever since she'd entered the house, overheard the bits of conversations pertaining to the little boy, and observed him. A feeling that had only grown the more she saw him, studied him. A feeling that told her that this cabinet wasn't the first time he'd hidden in. His incidents, as Narcissa had called them. Perhaps these were it. Moments when he snuck off and disappeared in places around the house like the day by the window. Today it was the small, cramped space where no one knew to look for him. It made sense to her. His schedule was so restrictive that it didn't leave him much room to express himself like children his age typically would. It didn't give him much time to relax. Or play. It didn't allow much for anything, actually. Scorpius Malfoy had no free will. Hiding seemed like less of an act of rebellion or a fear response, and more like he was seeking sanctuary. Freedom. You can hold it, Hermione told the boy, who was still inspecting the spring of mint pinched between her fingers. 
You can smell it, too, and even eat it. At the dissecting look that reminded her far too much of his father, she couldn't help but smother her amusement into her closed fist. Then she gave him a choice. I can show you, but only when you're ready to come out, okay? Still trying to determine what to make of her, Scorpius's eyes went from hers to the mint bundle, back and forth, much like a curious woodland creature would before they scampered off deeper into the forest. Back to safety. How about this? I'll finish preparing your grandmother's dinner, and if you like, then I'll show you other things you can do with mint. Once the suggestion was out, Hermione mentally scrambled to plan for something she hadn't anticipated doing in the first place. But she had his full attention. Twisting the mint between her fingers, she offered it to him again. Would you hold on to it and keep it safe? Can you do that for me? Scorpius put the book down with childlike clumsiness that should have been normal, but was odd given how shrewd he'd seemed. It was then that she realized why. He was interested. Curious. Ready to accept the responsibility. So much so that after nodding, eyes locked on the mint as if it were a shiny new toy, he accepted the sprig with reverent fingers. It was adorable, really, watching him light up when he smelled it. His eyes went wide, as if shocked that it smelled nice, that she had been honest with him. Then Scorpius sniffed the herb again, much like someone would roses. When he saw her staring, his face evened out, closed up. Hermione didn't push it, knowing better than to say anything else. She allowed her actions to speak louder than her words, and left the cabinet door open for him to accept her offer. When he was ready. Hermione returned to her task of cutting up the tomatoes and cucumbers for Narcissa's salad, seasoned the salmon, and put it in the oven to bake at the proper temperature before she set her watch. She glanced over at the open cabinet door to see if he used it, hoping he would. And if her heart raced at the appearance of a little blonde head peeking from the cabinet, well, that was only because he'd startled her, not because she had been waiting patiently while cleaning up the evidence of food preparation without magic. Not at all. Scorpius's small, pale hand gripped the cabinet only moments before he stood to his full height, facing away from her until he turned, mint sprigs still in her hand. The silent boy carefully closed the door, minding his fingers before Hermione could instinctively tell him to, after having said it so many times to Harry's children. Awkwardly, he held the mint out to her, and her heart just warmed. Thank you, but hold on to it just a bit longer, okay? They stared at one another, with Scorpius still holding the bundle out, blinking with an expression that faintly reminded her of a child waiting for something to happen, like a magic trick. Oh, right. He was used to things being prepared in front of his face, with a snap of Zippy's fingers. I don't use magic, she said candidly as an idea formed in her head, making her realize she would need a few items from home. It'll take some time. I have one thing I need to get from my house. Take a seat right here and I'll be right back. Before he could react, Hermione left him standing there, grabbed her bag, and hurrying into the living room flew. When she stepped out of her own fireplace, she could hear Pansy yelling at someone upstairs, likely about the tub that was being delivered that day, but it didn't matter. Hermione was on a mission. After looking around, she quickly found the right ingredients and stuffed them into her beaded bag. Another handful of flu powder brought her back to the Malfoys' home, where... where Scorpius stood right in front of the fireplace his face carefully blank in a way that reminded her of James when he was about to look like he wasn't doing something he, in fact, had been doing all along. And he looked as if he hadn't been waiting right there the entire time, awaiting her return while holding her mint. Just like that, her breath caught from visualizing Scorpius just anticipating her return, 
but not knowing when she would. Or if, her internal voice whispered as Hermione reflected in mounting unfamiliar dread. He didn't speak, so words were useless. She couldn't ask him how he felt, but there were little cues Scorpius gave off that gave her pause. He reminded her so much of Al when he was struggling. He reminded her that words couldn't always tell someone's story. Al was an anxious boy who required more attention than his siblings. It was the entire purpose of his bi-monthly visits. However, his nerves weren't born out of any stressful situations or neglect. They were natural. He would grow out of them as he conquered his fears. Of that, she was confident. And while Hermione didn't know about Scorpius outside of their staring sessions over breakfast and their one conversation, she would bet her salary that distress played a part in both the flush of his cheeks and how stiffly he was standing at attention during his wait. There was no doubt in her mind that he was well taken care of, but with Narcissa's firm hand, Malfoy's absence, and Astoria's death. Hermione kneeled in front of the unreadable little boy, something she did with Al to put them face to face. She didn't touch him, but made certain she kept eye contact when she said, I just rushed out of here. I'm so sorry about that. I won't do that again, okay? Scorpius relaxed only long enough to unlock his knees, then his blonde head bobbed. Are you ready? I've got everything we need. Hermione flashed a reassuring smile and held up her beaded bag as evidence, but Scorpius only blinked as if she had three heads, wondering if all the progress she'd made to get him out of the hiding spot had been lost. Hermione righted herself and led the way back to the kitchen. When she looked over her shoulder, Scorpius was following behind her with a look on his face that spoke of his hesitation, but that didn't stop him, and Hermione didn't allow her own apprehension to speak any louder than it already was. She muffled in favor of looking over her shoulder once again. Perhaps not all had been lost. Smiling to herself, Hermione started setting up while Scorpius stood next to the stool, the top of his toe-head barely peeked over the counter. After pulling out strawberries, blueberries, apples, oranges, and honey, she heard a chair scraping against wood. Curious, she abandoned her spot and peeked around the island only to find the five-year-old still holding the mint while trying to maneuver his way onto the bar stool, and failing. Would you like some help? Obviously, Scorpius hadn't seen her because he was momentarily startled. He declined with a distracted shake of his head, attempting again to climb his way onto the stool. He wasn't successful. After suppressing a smile at his stomp of frustration, Hermione whispered a quiet charm that stuck the chair to the floor, so he could use the steps. By the time he was situated, Hermione was already back at the island directly across from him, where he was seated, slicing strawberries and peeling oranges. While her audience was mesmerized by her task, she observed the way his blonde brows furrowed in concentration at each of her actions. She struggled with the abnormal silence. Whenever she cooked for Harry's kids, there was never a moment's peace. In fact, she never had associated quiet and children together in one thought before she'd met Scorpius. James never stopped talking. Al only talked in small groups or when he was one-on-one, -on -one, and Lily was surprisingly eloquent for a three-year-old. Scorpius just watched her in patient examination was so bizarre that she found herself filling the silence with pointless conversation, describing every step of the process. I'm making fruit salad. I usually make it with pecans, but I don't know if you're allergic. I'll ask. At the way he briefly tensed, Hermione scrunched her face. I'll ask someone. She shrugged and continued on when he relaxed. After I peel the oranges, I'll do the same with the kiwi and the apples. Then I'll add the strawberries, the blueberries, and blackberries together in a bowls for us. 
I'll drizzle the honey on it all and chop up the mint and sprinkle it on top. Does that sound good? Scorpius's blue eyes met hers before he agreed stiffly, handing over the bundle of mint for chopping. Hermione accepted it for the second time with a warm smile. Next time I'll make you something sweet, like sorbet. Have you ever had it? It was something she'd made for Harry's kids a few times, when they'd stopped fighting long enough to agree on a flavor. Scorpius looked bewildered, and that saddened her. Not because he hadn't had it, with Narcissa's firm hand. That had been expected. But rather because sorbet in the summer was as good as magic itself, and he'd never known the joy of racing to eat it on a hot afternoon before it melted. It was an experience, something memorable. She couldn't help but wonder how many moments like that Scorpius had missed or had yet to experience, or never would. Not the important ones, but the minor ones that didn't mean much to anyone outside of the memory, but everything to the ones living it. Moments that a child would reminisce about later in life with a smile on their face and joy in their heart. As Hermione did exactly as described, she found herself wanting to do more with the short notice she'd been given. Quietly, she longed for it to be just enough to invoke a feeling, a memory, a moment he'd look back on fondly, something. As Hermione prepared fruit salad, she stole little glances at Scorpius, who watched the short process as if there was going to be a test on it. When completed, she placed the bowl of fruit salad in front of him, sprinkled the minced mint on top of it, and chuckled to herself at how eager he seemed to try it. Then she frowned in confusion when he continued to wait with odd patience. Oh, right. He didn't have a fork. As a demonstration, Hermione picked up a cut strawberry and popped it into her mouth, chewing a few times before swallowing. Sometimes fruit tastes best when you eat it with your hands. Next, she picked up a blueberry, gently encouraging him to do the same. Scorpius was highly skeptical, frowning so hard it looked like he was going to crumble upon himself. In fact, his expression was so pinched that Hermione almost retrieved a fork for him to use. But then Scorpius picked up a cut orange that had bits of honey and mint on it, and eyed it carefully before bringing it to his mouth. Hermione bit back her own smile when his eyes lit up upon tasting it. He liked it. She let him eat with his hands a little longer before joining him with her own bowl and two forks, giving him the option of whether or not he wanted to use it. For a while, Scorpius didn't, simply enjoying his fruit salad with a content look on his face and sticky hands. But eventually, his training won out, and he picked up the fork. The first attempt was blueberry that rolled right off the fork down on his white shirt, staining it. "'Whoops!' she said in an absent yet playful tone, ready to get down and pick up the fruit that had fallen onto the floor. Al was a messy eater, too. Dropping fruit on the floor was practically a rite of passage. But the distressed look on the boy's face stopped Hermione, and made her halt her comparisons of the two children. Scorpius dropped the fork, visibly shaken, looking around as if someone were going to walk in the room and find him with a mess on his shirt. Though he wanted to, he didn't touch his shirt, because his hands were sticky from the honey, which only upset him further. His cheeks flushed. Hermione had no idea why his mood had shifted so drastically, but managed to get his attention. "'Hey, it's okay. Can I help?' That only made his face go redder. She reached for her wand, and vanished the blemishes on his hand and shirt, which calmed him down. He was no longer looking at her, instead peering down at his hands. It made Hermione instantly want to help, made her recall the sequence of events that had led up to that point. Scorpius had been perfectly fine with messy hands, so he, that hadn't been the issue. He'd only become distraught after his shirt bore visible evidence. 
which made Hermione wonder if it had less to do with the blueberry spot itself, and more to do with being caught with evidence of a mistake, an imperfection. Hermione offered her hands to him, that was stained with juice from the blueberries she'd cut. "'I have stains, too. Look!' She adjusted on the stool, facing him and holding on to the seat, while he did the same, facing her. "'I have so many!' Hermione pointed to each imperfection on her jeans, starting with her knees. "'From weeding this morning?' Then she pointed to a faint stain on the center of her shirt. "'From breakfast? Your dad startled me!' With his entrance and stiff, unprompted good morning. Hermione had dribbled a bit of poached egg on her shirt. She had no idea why Malfoy had startled her so badly. He'd been greeting her ever since that night with Scorpius. It felt like a temporary ceasefire that Hermione had accepted. She would keep her comments to a minimum, and he would materialize and look as though he'd actually rested. On the sofa, her traitorous mind reminded her. That twinge bothered her more than the stain on her already yellow shirt. Stains are okay, Hermione told the young boy, who was staring at the dirt on her knees with a pinched expression. They happen because no one's perfect. Not even me. Your grandmother nearly spilled tea today, so she's not perfect either. At that, Scorpius lifted his head, blue eyes sharp and inquiring. When would she recover from the shock of him and his mannerisms reminding her so much of his father? Probably never. Hermione thought with an internal shrug and fond chuckle at the little boy who was still eyeing her, basically telling her to elaborate. So she did. She's not perfect. And that's good. Just like sometimes stains like yours and mine are good. Hermione opened her blemished hands to him, but his eyes remained fixed on her, listening. I could clean them away with magic, just like I did yours. But it's okay that I don't. I'm proud of mine. They show that I've worked hard. And when I'm ready, I can just wipe them away and start fresh. Hermione did just that with a fluid motion of her wand and a whispered spell. His eyes widened in wonder, much like they did when she performed diagnostic charms on Narcissa at breakfast. He was intrigued by magic. One day, you'll be able to do this too. Scorpius appeared confused. Hermione grinned. Yes, you'll go off to school and learn just as your father did. And Zippy popped into the room and spotted them both. Miss Pritchard is searching for young master. He must resume his lessons. For the first time, Hermione heard Scorpius make a noise when he sighed before glancing over at her with wide, innocent eyes. It was as if he was begging to stay. But he couldn't. He'd stayed long enough. She'd given him a well-deserved reprieve. It's time to go back to your lessons. Hermione slid off the stool and helped a now pouty Scorpius down. He sullenly fixed his blazer and one of his socks that had rolled down a little. Perfect again. The little boy turned to leave, but before he could, well, Hermione couldn't help herself. She tapped his small shoulder, which made him turn back to her with sad eyes and pink cheeks. As she had in front of the fireplace, she kneeled in front of Scorpius, putting herself at his eye level. She had no idea why, but Hermione told him, "'Thank you for keeping my mint safe.' After hesitating, Scorpius bowed, all stiff movements like he'd been taught. But when he lifted his head, Hermione shook hers. There were so many things she found herself wanting to tell the little boy, while she had his full attention. But instead, she was flooded by odd emotions. Regret, empathy, wonder, and just plain old exhaustion. "'Don't bow to me. Only smile. When you're ready.' But he didn't, obviously puzzled by her request. It had never been her place to care about the quietest child she'd ever met. But it wasn't enough to stop Hermione from wanting to hug the sour look off his face, like she'd done with Al countless times. 
not enough to stop her from wanting to make promises just to make him smile for a bit. It was a similar sentiment to the emotions she felt for Harry and Chinny's kids. Despite all the ways he was different, Scorpius was also the same. Just a child. And a lonely one at that. But as she grappled with what to say, Scorpius watched her with ever-increasing curiosity, even taking an unconscious step forward. One of significance she recognized for what it was. He was trying, making a small connection and an effort to open the door she'd unconsciously unlocked by providing him sanctuary. Instead of twisting the lock back into place as she should have, Hermione left it up to him by not saying another word, allowing him to make a decision about her, giving him the choice. She extended an open hand for him to take, which he did, slipping his small hand into hers, holding on until they both heard Zippy move behind them. Then he let go. Scorpius only looked back at her once before they vanished from sight, but Hermione remained rooted to the spot long after he left. It was a mistake. The entire encounter had been one mistake after another, an overstep on her part, one of those that had been so far over the edge there was no going back. And yet... Hermione had a lot of regrets, things that she could have done differently or said better. She accepted her flaws for what they were, owned her mistakes, understood the sources of her shame, but her inability to continue turning a blind eye to Scorpius, his blue eyes, sweet and guarded spirit, or his silence, much to her utter shock, wasn't something she regretted at all. Fuck. Narcissa had been pleased with the surprise extra meal, so Hermione left her to eat it alone at the outdoor table while she enjoyed the setting sun and music from the wireless. It was later than Hermione usually stayed, as she typically turned the reins over to Zippy to handle her dinners and evening potions after lunch. Tonight she would have gone home, but didn't as she needed to make one last stop. Since accepting Narcissa as a patient, Hermione had been drafting a list of questions that couldn't be answered by her patient or file— some of her questions had inadvertently been answered by Pansy, but there were more than a few left that could only be answered by one person. Her son, who owed her a favor. Armed with a parchment and a peace offering in the form of a dinner plate, Hermione went to his office. Malfoy sat at his slightly cluttered desk where it appeared he was still working on his translations. The back of his chair faced forward, and the only part of him that she could see was the very top of his head, but that wasn't what first caught her attention. That honor belonged to a copy of a very familiar blueprint charmed to float at eye level. Now, instead of pins, there were colored letters, A through E. From the doorway, Hermione could hear the sound of a quill scratching against parchment, but couldn't see the evidence that he was writing. His head rose from the parchment before lowering to the blueprint, taking what sounded like detailed notes. So focused on his task, Malfoy didn't notice her presence until she knocked on his open door. The intrusion made him sigh hard before rotating in his chair. "'Mother, I am not in the mood to discuss another one of those insipid marriage m His eyes landed on her, then on the plate in her hand. All of the frustration in his voice, the tension in his shoulders, and the lines on his forehead smoothed out into an expression that wasn't quite indifference, but close. "'Granger,' Malfoy released the quill in his hand, allowing it to float beside his head as he leaned back in his chair, elbows resting on each arm." He was the picture of tense ease, an oxymoron, and yet Hermione was beginning to understand that his default response was to her. Not a threat, but also not an ally, just something. She understood the sentiment, and it resembled her own. To what do I owe the pleasure? May I come in? 
I made your mother dinner and figured you hadn't eaten. Have you? Hermione asked, not moving from the doorway. Malfoy stared at her with an odd expression, a strange moment that ended with an honest response. I have not. Are you hungry? It's salmon with roasted vegetables. I'm not sure what you like, but that's fine. He gestured for her to come in, an offer she accepted, placing the plate on a clear spot on his desk. She didn't sit, but stole a glance around the room, while Malfoy pretended not to examine the food. Hermione didn't want to watch him eat any more than he wanted her to watch, so she ventured to the wall of books. Everything still looked the same, except the latter, which had been moved recently. What was he reading? The question rang odd in her own head, so Hermione ignored it, because what did Draco Malfoy's reading list matter in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. Scorpius is asleep on the sofa. If you're here to start that argument, we never finished. Oh? Without hesitation, she ventured to the sofa and found Scorpius covered up by the same blanket she'd covered his father with. He looked content, small on the large sofa, and adorable with his thumb in his mouth. From across the room, she heard the sound of a fork scraping against a plate and nearly looked up to see if he liked the food, but refrained. Her attention went from Scorpius to the photo above the fireplace, then back to the books before settling on the little boy again. "'Does he fall asleep here every day?' "'No,' Malfoy replied after a moment's pause. "'Not ten minutes ago. He went directly to the sofa and fell asleep.' Automatically, she brought the blanket to Scorpius's shoulders, tucking him in, ignoring the weight of his father's inspection. By now she was used to it, even found a comfortable norm for them. Hermione approached Malfoy's desk next— she didn't sit, but did notice that he had at least tried the food, eaten a portion of it. It was hard to determine by expression alone if he liked it, but Hermione didn't try to puzzle it out, only handed him the parchment. "'I've written out a few questions about your mother that only you can answer to fulfill your promised favor.' Absently, Malfoy reached for his reading glasses, putting them on before staring at the top of her parchment. He flipped through the pages quickly, eyes widening slightly at the sheer number of questions. "'A few?' Malfoy's usual draw was tinged with a hint of amusement. There are forty-six questions, equally spaced for ample room to answer. I'm thorough. That you are. It didn't sound unkind, just an obvious statement. He peered up at her from above the rim of his glasses that had slid down his nose. Thorough enough to observe my mother at a charity event. Ah, so they were going to talk about this. Hermione only shrugged. It's part of my job. At his doubtful look, she shifted her weight from left to right. I watched your mother for symptoms or blank moments, signs of agitation. I need to know what they all look like, how they come on, and any cues she gives before they occur. She had none that night. Malfoy's next query came after a short pause. Why not ask her directly? It was a fair question. She may remember what she was feeling before an episode, but she definitely won't know how she looked. If she got suddenly cold or hot... Whether the expression on her face had changed or not, there are little signs that can only be observed. He stared, appearing to turn her words over in his mind. Seems plausible. It sounded like a concession that Hermione felt victorious until he glanced back at her list. I'm too busy tonight to answer these before bed. You should just ask my mother. You have a talent for aggravating her into doing things she doesn't want to do. Another backhanded compliment. Hermione had already walked down that avenue, and ended up at a dead end on each of those forty-six questions. She'll only provide information she's willing to part with. Obviously a family trait. I fail to see how... Malfoy trailed off, eyes back on her parchment, flipping to the third page. 
Question 19 is relevant. I would argue that the Black's tendencies toward mental illness are absolutely relevant to her current condition, especially should anyone want to determine if her form of dementia is hereditary. There will be research done. Malfoy fixed his glasses, shooting her an appraising look. You've memorized the questions. Of course, I wrote them. He took a second look, but suddenly frowned, mood darkening. This is going to take time that I don't have right now. We can schedule a time and a place to go through them. Okay. She quickly ran through a list of possible compromises that wouldn't antagonize Malfoy any more than absolutely necessary. My office should do. Feel free to schedule the date and time. Will do. Mission accomplished. Hermione turned her head for the door, nearly breaching the doorway when his voice rang out in silence. This doesn't taste bad. That wasn't at all what she had expected, and it made her turn around. Thank you? I can't tell if that's a compliment. It's not an insult. He kept his eyes on her for a long moment. I confirmed the secret passageway. Oh? Intrigued, she waited until he nodded before she asked. And the plan? Moving forward. That was good. Are you sleeping? Malfoy's annoyance was visceral, and she waited for an answer anyway, which he eventually gave with a sigh. I am no longer needed on overnights. The hideout was found Sunday morning, and it was abandoned. Hestia has sent in a team of investigators to gather evidence. Good to know. Even though he didn't answer the question, Hermione let it go and folded her arms across her chest, bag wrapped around her wrist. And training? She had already asked Harry about it once, so while she knew the answer, she found herself wanting to hear his side of things, his perspective. Malfoy grimaced at the question. It's going about as well as it can with Aurors, hit wizards, and magical law enforcement officers fresh out of training. But Potter... He trailed off with a sour expression that conveyed the fact that he was more willing to simultaneously eat plutonium while having his organs removed with a rusty spoon than admit to whatever was about to come out of his mouth. Potter isn't completely useless as a teacher. After suppressing her amusement behind a delicate cough, she let the still-grimacing man in on a little secret. Funny. He said the same thing about you. Malfoy couldn't hide his surprise, or the flash of pride, fast enough before schooling his features behind a suspicious, narrow glare. But it was too late. She had already seen every bit of it. And just a bit more of him. The man who removes a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. Chinese Proverb Chapter 11 The Facets of Human Connection May 27th, 2011 For all the questions Hermione had about Draco Malfoy, she at least had one answer. Like his mother and son, he was a creature of habit and routine. Malfoy was staunch with his morning swim, particular about how he spent his time during tea uncompromising when it came to his rituals, surrounding crosswords and reading the morning paper. But at the same time, he wasn't too rigid, able to compromise. Hermione's presence had made him adjust his routine slightly, even if only by force. Now it had been expanded to include gruff greetings, toleration for whatever tea she had made, and conversation. The surface of this man remained true to the person she knew he once was, right down to his attire and the way in which he parted his hair. It was an odd thought, considering that there was much more to him, a deep chasm of intricate thoughts and reasons behind his actions, and all the pieces that made up his identity. 
Hermione was barely skimming just beneath the surface, just beginning her quest to understand who he was now. But this morning represented a shift, a small dip. It was ten minutes past seven, and Malfoy was still there, showing no signs of leaving. It was, well, first and foremost, odd. He wasn't reading. She could tell when he was. His intense concentration gave him away. Malfoy engrossed himself in whatever he was reading, regardless of interest. Hermione could quietly relate. But right then, his attention went from the paper, to his watch, then to her, head tilted as if he had a pressing question that he would not ask. Malfoy went through three cycles of this before she realized what was happening. He was waiting. On what, Hermione had no idea. Whatever it was, he seemed to battle back and forth with himself about it while she kept to her task of making Narcissa's breakfast. Buckwheat crepes with ham, spinach, and mushrooms. Healthy and light. She only had plans to make two, one for herself and one for Narcissa. But Malfoy's prolonged presence left her needing something to do, so she made a third, packed it into a glass container charmed to maintain freshness, and placed it next to him. The glass clinking against the granite broke the silence. Breakfast. I made an extra. Hermione shrugged. You can leave it if you'd like. I've noticed you only drink tea. I've never seen you eat a meal before leaving, except for your protein drinks. That was odd, too. That's because I don't. With two crisp actions, he folded the paper and checked his watch one last time. What are you waiting for? It wasn't a question she had intended to ask. The conversation for the morning was long since over, but she couldn't help herself. Malfoy was so off-course that he was throwing her off, too. Nothing. Obviously a lie. I have an inquiry in thirty minutes with Chief Warlock McLagan. My third. Hermione cringed. Third? Tiberius must have been very suspicious, or very paranoid, or both. But she remembered who she was speaking to, Draco Malfoy, whose reputation for being on the wrong side of every war had preceded him. The Restoration Movement would be yet another wrong side for anyone who wished for things to remain the same, and taking no side would be just as wrong to someone who wanted change, someone like her. Malfoy couldn't win either way. The difference between good and evil was clear from all sides, but distorted by perception and motivation, and hardly ever processed with any sense of clarity. Draco Malfoy was doomed to spend the rest of his life in the gray, always suspected and never trusted, regardless of stance. And for the first time, Hermione wondered, well, never mind. She cleared the discomfort lodged in her throat. You should probably be gone, then. Malfoy hummed his low, rumbling agreement. It sounded like brass, refined and polished. I suppose. But he didn't move. For several seconds, Hermione watched him from the corner of her eye. Not yet ready to eat, she sipped tea and catalogued her thoughts. Malfoy's reputation was limited by what others thought of him preconceived notions, not who he was. Hermione had learned over the years, as she struggled to find her own identity outside of her reputation, that it was a convoluted construct and struggle. People were in a constant state of flux, shifting and evolving. Hermione wasn't immune to it, and neither was he. The thought weighed so heavily on her mind that the warning slipped out unchecked. Don't drink the tea. A single blonde brow rose above the rim of his glasses. Did you? No, I just thought... I'm an Occlumens, Granger. I can withstand Veritaserum. He doesn't know this, and it's not in my file. Harry had mentioned that Malfoy had been trained ages ago, but the knowledge had been lost to time. 
that it wasn't in his file, well, that was definitely a violation, but also none of Hermione's business. She wouldn't judge, as most of the Wizengamot's activities and interests towed the proverbial line. Lack of precedent left them with too much control. So you know about his tea? It's an open secret. Which was just as disturbing as Malfoy's overall ambivalence about it. But then she remembered what he had said in Harry's office and forced her many opinions down. I'm certain a lot of secrets have come out, just not the ones he wants. A ghost of a smirk played at his lips. Then he looked at his watch. Again, Malfoy frowned. Hermione couldn't tamp down her rampant curiosity. What do you know about the movement? Its existence. He looked at her hard with a strange combination of accusation and resignation. Does that seem to be something I'd involve myself in? Malfoy seemed more likely to ignore something like an entire underground ministry restoration movement because it didn't suit his needs. Not likely. If I remember correctly, you want to shut down the Death Eater organization so you can check it off your to-do list and get on with your life. Precisely. He cut his gaze away and remained silent until he finished his tea. You have opinions. Of course I do. But I don't see you leading a rebellion. Fair point. But Percy seemed twitchy about her involvement, and she was reluctant to push him. He didn't want her involved. Yet. Though he hadn't said anything about the future. Percy chose each of his words carefully, crafted what he wanted someone to know, and omitted anything even mildly extraneous, which is why she paid close attention to even minor updates on his progress. She tasted her tea. I certainly know more about it than just his existence. Is that so? Not a question, a statement. Malfoy tapped his finger on the granite. One could argue that restoring the power to the minister won't change everything. The same argument can be made that it depends on who sits in the minister's seat after the next election. The best leaders are great teachers. They can bring about change through compromise, have an eye towards the future, and build those up around them because of it. They're humble and genuine, firm but never to a fault. They follow an ethic of responsibility to their people by creating the best possible future. I can think of a few people like that I would willingly follow. Oh, it didn't sound like interest, yet it wasn't apathy. Malfoy put everything he'd brought with him aside in a move that made it clear Hermione now had his attention, and he had hers. Who? I thought you would want to talk more about my idealism, or at least argue that no one person exists that fits that role in its totality. In fact, I can think of at least three more fitting responses to my statement than your question. I suppose you're right, Malfoy shrugged in consideration. I do have more opinions on that matter concerning your odd blend of idealism and realism, not to mention the fact that you should keep them separate. Unfortunately, though, I don't have the time to argue with you today, Granger. It'll have to be Monday. Did you just schedule an argument? He glanced at his watch again. It appears I did. Fifteen minutes after seven. Less time until his inquiry, yet he still didn't move. Malfoy did, however, glance at the doorway surreptitiously, in a move she calculated much like most things concerning him. Not that she understood the meaning, but she knew just enough to understand that it meant something. Malfoy was the sort that did nothing without purpose or cause. He calculated everything and everyone, but his variables were still unknown, so Hermione could never tell if she was holding the question, the solution, or meaningless parts of a complex equation. What are you waiting for? Nothing. 
an obvious lie, but Hermione was beginning to learn when to press harder and when to release, at least with him. With nothing else to do or say, as Malfoy would leave when he was ready, Hermione charmed the dishes to wash and took her tea and breakfast to the stool next to him. A first, she usually stood across the island and silently read and answered his crossword upside down until he realized what she was doing and scowled. Malfoy's folded prophet was closest to her, and an article caught her attention with just one glance. They're building an aquatic sanctuary for rare magical creatures in Berlin and giving the public the opportunity to observe and learn about them. It looked like it would be an offering protection for those whose homes were being destroyed by humans. I saw. Malfoy pushed the paper in her direction, granting her permission to take a look, which she did, reading the article thoroughly until his next statement stopped her. I despise aquariums. Animals belong in the wild. But they're providing a safe haven. In a tank. Better than danger. Fish like the tank. It's all they know. No, they live in a tank because humans don't give a fuck about anything. You call it a sanctuary. But the way I see it, it's just a place where the same people who destroyed their habitats can observe them for a special rate of one galleon and five sickles on weekdays. It's disgusting. When he put it like that, the idea soured. There's nothing glamorous about living in a cage. He was speaking from personal experience. The more she learned about the archaic, pure-blood culture he was born into, and expected to uphold the ideals of, the more Hermione found herself quietly agreeing with him. His tank was pristine, but there was only room for one. It was too cluttered, with duties, so clouded that it made it hard for him to see the things the way Hermione, or anyone else, could from the outside. But in thinking about his tank, she was forced to think about her own, that she removed herself from years ago. It called to mind all the expectations that had driven her into the ground, and her own skewed perceptions hadn't changed until the excess was removed. Her clutter was different than his, of course, filled with expectations of greatness and stuffed with the work thrust on her simply because of her status as a hero, reputation as the brightest, and potential to lead. "'I suppose you're right,' Hermione said finally, turning the paper over so neither could see the article. "'But you're also wrong.' Malfoy's eyes held hers like a magnet." Oh? Just because you're born in a tank doesn't mean you're condemned to one forever. If you want to be free, free yourself. That's easier said than done, when he stopped himself, but he finished it in her head, pieced together from the odds and ends of conversation she'd had with others. When the tank is all you know. Oh. She could only manage the one word, but Malfoy's discomfort morphed into something physical that stirred something inside of her. Not because it was a new topic— Hermione had been on the receiving end of so much information about Draco Malfoy over the last few months that she hadn't taken the time to process it all. She treated it like speculation, but with the more recent conversations on her mind, his unfinished statement and unspoken words felt like an answer, a confirmation. It felt real, human, and raw. The same way she felt when she covered him with that blanket. Did he sleep there last night? Or the night before? Would he tonight? Those questions were on the tip of Hermione's tongue, and she spent so much energy choking them back that something else slipped out. You're going to be late. Whatever it is you're waiting for isn't here. As I've stated before, I'm not waiting for anything. And this particular enunciation made it click. Your mother doesn't come down for at least another thirty minutes. I'm not waiting for her. Okay, so now she was confused. Who else? Oh! Scorpius looks for you every morning without fail. 
when he realized that she had sussed him out, that he was now exposed, Malfoy's face hardened like stone. He pointedly looked away, stood, and left, taking everything he'd come with, the prophet, the crossword book, and his pen, but also something he'd been given along the way, the glass container. In Malfoy's haste to run from the truth, he had all but admitted, albeit accidentally, he missed something key, something quiet and nearly undetectable. Hermione didn't notice it either until Malfoy stepped under the archway of the door. Scorpius. Raised on the tips of his toes, bracing himself, he peeked around the corner, staring after his father's retreating form with a longing that was as wide and deep as the ocean, one Hermione hoped to never know. Scorpius opened his mouth to call after him, but stopped, upset and unable to find the words or the courage he needed to speak. His shoulder slumped in renewed sorrow. There were three types of connections, one that were found, one that were lost, and ones that were missed by minutes, seconds, moments. When Scorpius waved to the empty space where his father had just been, Hermione's heart clenched so tight it hurt. But for which end of the missed connection it ached for most, for the first time she wasn't sure. Hermione wondered if Narcissa stood in front of a mirror each night and practiced schooling her facial expressions into a variety of emotions to decide just the right one to use in every instance, like now. They hadn't been outside long, but Narcissa had already examined every tree, plant, herb, fruit bush, and vegetable in her greenhouse and garden with a look so perfectly distasteful that it was nothing short of staged. It was as though Narcissa had counted everything she didn't like and the number was offensive. Meanwhile, Hermione gave her the tour in perfect silence, oftentimes having to look away to not get caught rolling her eyes. Which was not only immature, it was backsliding. Hermione had to admit that Narcissa had come dressed to work, wearing probably the most casual attire she had ever seen her in, hair styled perfectly under a wide-brim hat with a soft pink mesh scarf wrapped around her head and neck to protect her from the sun. She wore a long-sleeved floral shirt, comfortable trousers, because proper women don't own jeans, Miss Granger, and a surprising pair of wellies that were so clean they were likely as new as the shiny pink gloves on her hands and the pressed apron tied around her waist, meaning she'd taken the time to prepare, even with only one day's notice. Still, Narcissa looked like she had stepped out of another era. It wasn't the first time Hermione had made the comparison, nor would it be the last. They had rounded their way back to the start of the tour, when Narcissa primly laced her fingers together and cast a long, dramatic look around, tilting her sunglasses. "'I have several questions, Miss Granger.' "'Of course she did,' Hermione thought with a long-suffering sigh. "'Go on.' "'Who taught you how to garden?' "'A friend of mine named Neville helped me start from tomatoes and herbs. He showed me the basics about plant care.' Neville worked primarily with magical foliage, but knew enough about mundane vegetation to help Hermione begin her garden. He's an absolute genius with magical plants. Narcissa looked around with a tight frown. You use the word genius far too generously. Hermione almost choked on the litany of words ready to spill from her lips in defense of her friend, but she swallowed them down and took the high road, which was hard. I believe I've used the word correctly. Your criticism is harsh and unnecessary, not to mention unfounded, as you don't know... First, Narcissa raised a gloved finger. Without criticism, there is no improvement. Someone as intelligent as yourself should know this and not take offense to my observations. 
you're right, but there's a way to criticize constructively without insulting a friend of mine. And someone who had been essential in helping her find normality through the outlet and gardening planted the seeds in the form of words that led to Hermione looking into healing as a career alternative. To make the difference you want to make, you don't have to be the best at everything. You just have to care. Narcissa's lips thinned in consideration. I meant no offense as I was speaking as someone with extensive experience with mundane horticulture. When I married Lucius, I redesigned the gardens at Malfoy Manor to make them more functional, and his family had little interest in upkeep. Narcissa touched the stem of the blackberry bush, full of berries not yet ready to be picked. Tending to a mundane garden is different. I only ask who taught you to garden after observing your garden's current state. Why does that matter? Because your mundane plants are treated like the magical plants in your greenhouse, and that simply will not do. Hermione didn't understand the difference or why it mattered. Her expression obviously spoke to that because Narcissa shook her head. There are three basic elements involved in caring for plants. Light, water, and heat. Like people, each plant is different, not only in appearance, but in what quantity of each basic element they require to survive, and what additional care they need to thrive. Because surviving and thriving, while used interchangeably far too often, are very much at opposite ends of the spectrum. What does that have to do with magical versus mundane gardening methods? Caring for mundane plants like one would magical plants can keep them alive, but they will not thrive. Magical plants do not always require certain maintenance that mundane plants need in excess. Your magical plants are thriving in the greenhouse, particularly your molly, arca, and boober tubers. But your mundane plants are just surviving, especially your flowers, both inside and outside the greenhouse. They appear healthy enough, but they won't flourish if they don't have a full range of the necessary minerals and proper care, just as people won't. As someone with a thirst for knowledge, Hermione's interest was piqued. She fell into step beside Narcissa, who took her for a second turnabout in the garden, but that time with a new perspective. Narcissa was more proficient in horticulture than she'd originally let on. Pretty soon, Hermione found herself jotting down notes for future reference. For the first time, on a level deeper than clinical, it dawned on her that Narcissa would no longer remember her own advice at some point. Her skills, her family, her name. Over time, her memories would begin to come and go like the tide, and then they would just be gone. Her body would exist even as the soul that lived in it slowly dwindled away. Hermione looked away as a small swell of emotions brushed against her heart. She batted the feelings away. It wasn't impartial. When you landscaped in preparation to plant, it's obvious that you followed directions from a book, as yours is exemplary. However, books leave out a certain je ne sais quoi that is hard to describe, but it differentiates a nice garden from an excellent one. Yours is functional at best, if a bit dull and unimaginative. But that, Narcissa trailed off, showing a level of tact she hardly ever used around Hermione. Such an act was usually reserved for those she needed to be tactful around. Hermione had never met her requirement before, and judging from her embarrassed expression, maybe she did now, but it didn't matter. Hermione already knew what Narcissa was going to say. Dull? Unimaginative? But that's who you are. After an awkward yet almost apologetic silence, Narcissa stood in front of her hydrangea bush by the fence that separated her garden from the pasture. Again, she frowned when she spotted yellow leaves. Do you prune with magic? No. Good. You shouldn't. 
She paused and properly lowered herself to her knees with a certain grace that could not be taught. She touched the base of the plant, removing blooms and leaf debris. "'Your hydrangeas are suffering from moisture stress, either too wet or too dry. It rained two nights ago, yet this is already parched. Perhaps the debris here was blocking the water from getting to the roots, which account for the yellowing leaves.' "'I thought that a little debris would make a good compost.' "'For other plants, yes, but not hydrangeas. "'What is good for one is not good for all. "'You should also consider clipping these old stems "'to allow the plant to breathe.' "'I can do that, or you can.' "'Narcissa lifted her head, "'one blonde brow arching above the rim of her glasses, "'but said nothing. "'Only began her task after extracting her hand shears "'from her apron, spelled to cut through anything.' After finishing, she stood and examined her work. "'I suppose I can work with this.' Instead of paying attention to her words, Hermione found the tiny flower of a compliment hidden in the vast garden of criticism. Now she was ready to learn. "'Any other points you would like to make?' "'Your pruning is horrible, especially on the fruit trees in your garden. Your cuts are all wrong. You either snip too much or not enough, and on several occasions you have clipped them too soon.' Knowing when to prune is critical for young trees, as they need to be trained to develop a strong structure. Trained. There was that word again niggling at her, calling forth images of little Scorpius standing in attention, with a serious expression on his face. The boy who never smiled, only watched and held everything inside, like his father. Hermione snapped back to focus only to find Narcissa casting a look at her house. Her security guard stood just outside the door probably bored. There really had been no reason for their presence today, as Hermione's words practically guaranteed her safety. But they had their orders. "'Miss Granger, I find myself curious about something.' That tone made Hermione inwardly cringe. "'Oh?' Merlin. Conversation starters like that never ended without tense discussions. Recent common ground aside, tensing was only a natural reaction. Progress wasn't linear, nor was it one-dimensional.' It was full of twists and turns, ups and downs, backtracks and loops that would eventually lead to where they were supposed to end up. Or maybe it wouldn't. Perhaps they would get to a point where they were both comfortable with the balance. Or discussions about their differences would be their normal. "'You have a rather large home for someone who is unmarried and lives alone,' Narcissa cast a sidelong glance back at Hermione. "'While lovely, I cannot decide if you intend to rectify that. However, Given your liberal views on marriage and the fact that you live in virtual solitude, I've concluded not. Hermione rolled her eyes. I don't owe you a response, as it's none of your business, but my opinions on marriage aren't indicative of whether or not I intend to marry at all. That's quite short-sighted of you, but— Hermione bit her own tongue. But the sharp look she received in response made it clear that Narcissa knew her next words. But that's who you are. Narcissa frowned. It is expected for a woman to give up her home when she marries. You have settled here. At least it appears so from the parts of your home I have seen. It does not seem likely that you would be able to give this up. Additionally, it would be quite hard to transfer a vegetable garden of this magnitude. Or my future husband can live here. Oh, it is simply not proper, Miss Granger. Narcissa's laugh mocked at her in sentiment. How can he be head of a home that isn't his? "'because we are partners in life, and what's mine is his. "'There is no room for pride or ego in love and respect. "'You say this now because you don't know. 
I'll always say this because it's what I believe. Hermione took a deep breath. Just like you have your beliefs, I have mine. I don't necessarily agree with yours, but I don't dismiss what you say simply because I find it antiquated and regressive. You shouldn't dismiss mine either. As we continue working towards compromise, you should try to understand me, just as I'm trying to understand you. Hermione couldn't see her eyes, but felt them weighing heavily on her. Why are you concerned about whether I'll marry? As I often tell Draco, it is not good to be alone. I have friends and family. I have my work, and I love that I work on an individual scale. I have my home, and this vegetable patch, and a great appreciation for myself. I don't seek outside validation. I'm content. But are you happy? The question stuck out like a thunderbolt, but Hermione didn't react, didn't answer. I... I often find myself wondering how you manage to keep everything together. Narcissa removed her sunglasses, tucking them into her apron. You cook for me, prepare my potions weekly, and monitor my condition while keeping detailed records on the progression of my disease, one that you don't even specialize in, and researching the nature of it. You frequently consult with other healers to make sure that you are providing the best care. Additionally, you have this garden with chickens, and a home much too large for one person. You still work at St. Mungo's doing floater work, attend dinners with your parents, host gatherings with your friends, and you make yourself available whenever anyone needs anything, according to Pansy. How much time do you make for yourself, Miss Granger? The question, while soft, had a hint of genuine concern that matched the look in her eyes. I make time. Some. I just like keeping busy. Narcissa started walking, and Hermione fell into step beside her, until they stopped between the radishes and carrots. When Lucius died, I was inconsolable. Even after we moved to France, I managed to distract myself with helping Draco secure a wife, and a flurry of activities to avoid thinking about him. I wonder if you are doing the same, distracting yourself from your own restlessness. There were several rebuttals on the tip of her tongue, but they all were flawed. Parts of her were still stunned by Narcissa's awareness. Just think about it, the older witch's tone bordered on motherly. Pushing marriage isn't a remedy to loneliness. The thought was so strange that Hermione snorted. Then she closed her mouth, flushing first in embarrassment, then wincing at the fact that she'd admitted having a problem. Out loud. To her patient. In the middle of her garden. Maybe Narcissa hadn't noticed. One glance told Hermione that she absolutely had. Perhaps you are right, and it is not the answer. But maybe finding someone who understands you is. Hermione processed her words as she cleared her throat and looked away, awkwardly pulling at the end of her braid. I... After trailing off, Hermione brushed away a leaf that had gotten stuck in Narcissa's hat. We should get started working on the garden. Any other critiques? Even her patient's critical appraisals felt better than the current hollowness inside her ribs. Narcissa led the way down a row of vegetables nearly ready for harvest, then turned back to Hermione, who was clinically monitoring her gait. Overall, your garden is lovely, Miss Granger. Healthy, despite errors due to inexperience. Narcissa readjusted her scarf. My criticism seems harsh to you, as it appears you have worked quite hard to cultivate this land, but I cannot help but examine with a sharp eye geared towards improvement. Which was fair. Her words were also laden with double meaning. That being said, your garden needs proper and correct attention. That is, if you are willing to learn from someone as old-fashioned as me. She was. 
and with a short nod, it began. Time passed as they worked alongside one another. Narcissa taught her tricks she'd learned while cultivating Malfoy Manor's gardens. How to cut, where to cut, when to cut. She showed Hermione the result of her errors in split branches and prematurely dying leaves. They pulled weeds and Narcissa showed her the difference between healthy soil and its dusty, barely living counterpart. It was a humbling experience that could have gone a lot differently had Narcissa's tone been harsher, had Hermione been stubborn and unwilling to listen. But it had gone well. Today certainly wouldn't be the last time they disagreed, but she wondered if the length of time between each one would stretch. While Narcissa was good with all of her other fruit-bearing vegetation, she paid special attention to the flowers, cared for them, genuinely liked her variety. She had more specific instructions and ideas on which she should plant for added pollination, and she knew just the place where they could go, a place that would require Hermione to extend her fence at least a meter out. Not feasible now, but it was something to consider. Before she knew, the recommended hour had passed, but Narcissa wanted to finish weeding the row of the broad runner beans before she stepped for the day. Hermione noted the color in her cheeks, the healthy glow of satisfaction. Despite the sweat on her brow, she looked far more relaxed than she had seen her after each of their walks combined. Happier. Everything shifted in the blink of an eye. Narcissa stood to her feet, but stopped short as she looked past Hermione and tilted her head strangely. "'Miss Granger, you have said in the past that if I believe I am having an incident to inform you immediately.' Hermione dropped her notebook and rushed to her side, reaching into her pockets and finding a cloth to wipe the sweat from her brow. Narcissa looked visibly shaken, but more than that, she seemed confused. Visual hallucinations were a common symptom of her disease, and there were so many ways to handle one, but Hermione settled on a tactic she knew would work. Hermione kept her voice calm, speaking in soothing tones. Narcissa, tell me what you see. I always see Lucius. A chill shot up her spine as Sack's words played in her mind, her comforting presence. Her voice seemed far away as she stared on, taking an unconscious step towards the hallucination. But it is not. Lucius has been here all along, all day. Now the question of what else she kept to herself lingered. Suddenly, meeting with Malfoy was of utmost importance. She couldn't delay. But right then, Hermione walked alongside Narcissa as she slowly approached her mirage. In front of the chicken coop, where the three were still running around, Hermione made a request only her patient could hear. "'Tell me about the person you see.' Narcissa didn't hesitate. "'A man with black hair and skin that's covered in bruises. He's on the other side of the stream.' both watching us and trying to get inside, but he cannot. He does not stop trying. It looks painful. His hand looks wrong. That was an oddly specific hallucination. What is he wearing? Hermione took out her wand and performed several quick diagnostic charms that didn't reveal anything spectacular. It worried her more. His clothes are tattered and dirty. His hair is wild with leaves and branches stuck in it, he looks so real. Like Lucius. It's remarkable. Quietly disturbed by the visual she was painting, Hermione asked, Can you look at me, Narcissa? I'd like to see your eyes. When she turned her head, she discovered that they weren't glazed over like they had been that morning in the garden. They were clear, focused, scared. Let's get you out of the sun, and I'll make you a cup of tea. I'll... Hermione turned her head. 
Ah. Uh... Hermione had very limited experience with hallucinations of any kind, but she did know, from extensive research and training, that there were different levels and types to consider. Something else she knew? It wasn't a hallucination if she could see it as well. Dread invaded Hermione's body, sinking into her skin as her stomach dropped. Adrenaline propelled her into action, not running from, but rather towards, the man. Narcissa was somewhere in the background, yelling for her to stop. Not that she'd ever listened before. The word wasn't in her vocabulary. As she got closer, the man came into clearer focus. Narcissa had been accurate in her description, right down to his filth. He kept walking into her wards like he had no idea that he would fall into the stream if he succeeded, almost as if he knew no other way, stuck in a trance. Idea in mind, Hermione ran towards the walkway that served as a bridge, exiting her wards, fully prepared for a fight that never came. She crept towards the skeletal stranger, one step after the other, wand pointed, and eyes and ears open for any surprises. It was unsettling the way he repeatedly collided with her invisible wards that shimmered from the unauthorized contact. His eyes were focused and unseeing. He was barefoot, all his visible skin covered in festering cuts and bruises, and welts that made her wonder if he'd walked straight there from wherever he'd come from. How had he gotten through her diversion wards? "'Who are you?' The stranger's head slowly turned, movement stiff and unnatural, allowing her to see his dark, empty eyes for the first time. When he opened his mouth, blood and saliva ran from the corners of his lips, staining his filthy chin and torn clothes. Hermione could barely make out his tongue, but she could see that it was the source of the bleeding, bitten clean off. His jaw worked hard, lips moving as if he were trying to speak. Her fists tensed around her wand. "'Hermione Granger.' The voice he spoke was in a gargled from the blood spilling out and hoarse from overuse. "'We see you.' Or screaming. "'We see you all.' And he charged at her, as best as he could, given his slow gait, due to his obvious broken ankle. But he was wandless, not a threat. There was no fear, only logic. Hermione aimed for his chest, just a body-bind curse to subdue, but she never had the opportunity to fire. Instead, a stunner came from behind her, whizzing a safe distance away from her head and landing on its target with enough force to knock the man right off his feet. Feet overhead, the stranger landed in a heap of twisted limbs in the patchy grass a few meters away. Hermione whipped around, ready to fight, only to find one of Narcissa's ever-present security guards behind her. The other guard was across the creek with her patient, who looked on anxiously, wringing her gloved hands. "'What the hell?' she yelled at him, rushing over to the unconscious man, pressing two gloved fingers against his neck. She searched until she found a pulse, weak yet steady. The guard didn't look a bit apologetic, which made anger flood through her veins. Through gritted teeth, she sucked in a breath. "'I had it under control. You don't stun an obviously injured person like that. It's barbaric!' He charged at you. Impatience was written all over his gruff face. Mrs. Malfoy gave me an order to help you, so I did my job. Your assignment is to protect Narcissa, who is quite safe within my wards. I don't need your help. Go back to your actual job. The wizard looked leery, his wand still tight in his grip, ready to hex again if the man so much as moved. I heard what he said to you, Miss Granger. You shouldn't. While I appreciate your concern, he's not a threat. 
He's unconscious and injured. I am a healer. It's part of my oath and duty to keep those who need it, regardless of what they've done. So go. She glared daggers at him until he went, eyes following him until he was back at Narcissa's side, delivering a message into her ear, one that she nodded at, but didn't look too pleased about receiving. Distractions gone. Hermione sent a Patronus to Harry. The message was quick and to the point. And while she waited, she stabilized him and performed every diagnostic charm she could think of that wouldn't harm him. His magical readings were all over the place. Ah, so he was a wizard. Good to know. From there, she noted his haggard condition. The wounds on the soles of his feet, obviously infected sores and burns all over his visible skin. He was too thin, warm with fever. Wherever he had been kept, he had been there a long time, likely caged like an animal, with no one to tend to his ailments. With clinical gentleness, Hermione gently turned his head towards her. More bruises. Discoloration around both of his hollowed eyes that were open and red from strain. Bitten tongue, tense muscles, bloodshot eyes. All the classic signs of overuse of the Cruciatus curse. The stunning likely hadn't helped. She glared over her shoulder at the guard, who stood on the other side of Narcissa, still waiting. Her patient had her arms folded, and she was tapping her foot. She could have left. They were finished, but she stayed. Hermione continued her assessment. More strained muscles, rope burns on his wrists that served as proof of his captivity. He had landed awkwardly on his left arm, so she moved to the other side to prepare to reset the shoulder. Until she noticed it. The letter in his discolored hand. With a start, Hermione immediately used her wand to remove it. She didn't read it, more concerned with the man's black fingertips and the slow spread of darkness that was indicative of the infection that would soon enter his bloodstream. The sight brought forth unforgettable memories. His hand looked just like Molly's when she'd been poisoned. Harry arrived with a soft pop, looking as if he'd been fighting or running. His shoulders were tense, glasses crooked, cheeks colored, and a light sheen of sweat painted his forehead. Ah, he must have been in the middle of a training session when he'd gotten her message and rushed out in a hurry. His immediate relief upon seeing her uninjured was written all over his face. Harry slipped his wand back into the holster over his shoulder. Are you okay? Before Hermione could respond, Malfoy appeared on the scene in all black, no jacket, leather wand harness on display. And though his face was all sharp lines and stoic indifference, he bore the same signs of physical activity. A slight flush, no sweat, but his hair was in mild disarray, as if he'd run his hands through it several times, probably in irritation. Granger. He must have been there when Harry got the message, which meant they were still teaching together. No one was missing a limb. Interesting. Hermione was proud of them. Malfoy. In the span of a single blink, Malfoy scanned her from head to toe before glancing over at the unconscious man. She was getting better at noticing, but it was still impossible to know what he was thinking. His stone-faced expression gave nothing away. "'Are you injured?' The question came as a surprise, probably to them both. "'No, but he is.' She gestured to the man lying on the grass, stepping aside as they approached for a closer look. Color bled from Harry's face as recognition dawned on him. "'Oh, fuck! It's Mathers!' The missing aura. Harry stepped to one side of the stunned wizard, Malfoy to the other, while Hermione stood at his feet. I'll call in a team. C-team, Malfoy suggested without tearing his attention from the unconscious man. They need practice canvassing. We'll need to complete a proper sweep of the area, three kilometers out in all directions. Harry agreed with a nod, 
and to Hermione's surprise, without argument. We'll also need to contact his family. Later, Malfoy crouched next to Mather's still form on his hands and knees, when he's stable. Right, Harry ran a heavy hand through his hair. Hermione knew he was troubled, even as he backed away. Harry took everything harder than he should, because he valued everyone, right down to Dolores. However, he was still the consummate professional, a true leader, and he knew what to do. Quickly, Harry put his feelings aside and pointed his wand in the air to call forth his silvery stag. It was time to get to work. One knee in the grass, Malfoy slid his wand back into its holster in a smooth motion. He hadn't been as affected as Harry, at least not visibly. His reaction had been far more subtle and thus harder to point out for dissection. The first clue of his inner workings came from the simple fact that Malfoy seemed unsurprised by the brutality. Hermione noted nothing beyond indifference in his clinical indifference. Do you know him? Not like Potter. Hermione knew what he meant. Being an Auror, well, now the head of the Auror's office, was Harry's career. Something he knew he would be doing for a long time. He had always made it a mission to know every person who worked for him. Families, birthdays, hobbies. This assignment and collaboration with the task force was just that. An assignment. It was about the people who went from assignment to assignment with him. They were important. Malfoy, from what she could ascertain, was different. No surprise there. The people who worked under him were just that. People. He didn't try to get to know them. Wasn't interested in gaining their respect. All business. It was a surprisingly linear way of thinking that Hermione knew didn't always work. His detachment, in addition to the fact that he was Draco Malfoy, was likely why everyone deferred to Harry, and also why he didn't seem to care. "'I'll see that he's transported to St. Mungo's,' Hermione said just to end the odd silence. "'When he wakes, he'll likely need to be questioned.' Malfoy said nothing as he examined the man's injuries. "'Looks like the work of the Caros. They're particularly heavy-handed with the Cruciatus Curse.' They also think setting captives loose in the forest without a wand to hunt like prey is a perfectly acceptable form of entertainment. She had the wisdom to think before asking how he knew about such barbaric acts. Did he say anything to you? Hermione gulped. My name. That didn't bother him at all, so she told him the rest. We see you. We see you all. She noticed the shift, the stiffness in his shoulders, as he lifted his eyes to hers. For a second... Hermione saw the worry in them again before he tucked it away. Anything else? Anything more specific? No. Harry joined them, his jaw set in a tight line. They'll be here momentarily. Will he be okay? His eyes were hopeful despite his grim expression. Malfoy answered before she could. He'll likely end up like Longbottom's parents. It'll be a waste to question him or even retrieve his memories. There have been significant strides in reversing the long-term effects of the curse. While possible, his response wasn't exactly true. She rested a hand on Harry's shoulders. They won't know how bad he is until he regains consciousness. How long will that take? I have no idea. Hermione levitated the letter with her wand. This was in his hand. It's poisoned, and while I didn't read it for obvious reasons, it looks the same as all the others. His hand looks like Molly's. It has to be the same poison. Malfoy didn't hide his confusion. His eyes cut back and forth between them as he tried to put the pieces together. Harry heaved a sigh, and Hermione tried to fill in the gaps. It's a slow-acting poison that is fatal if left untreated, for I'm familiar with it. That's right. Sacks. 
Still, there was so much tension and finality in those four words that Hermione left it alone. "'Do you still have the antidote?' Harry asked. "'I have one vial that will have to do for now, but I can make more. I would have gotten it, but I didn't want to leave him alone. Lest anything else happen, or he regained consciousness, or worse, vanished.' "'Did you stun him?' Malfoy asked with a frown. "'No. Your mother's security did when he tried to attack me before I could put him in a body-bind. He's likely been cursed, imperious if I had to guess, and sent here to deliver the message. So I can't hold his actions against him. He didn't come close at all to harming me.' All at once, understanding swept across Malfoy's features like a quickly moving thunderstorm. "'My mother's security team? Why is she here?' He whipped around to look for her. "'Where?' right over there. The aggravated wizard spotted his mother on the side of the stream with both guards. Harry excused himself as task force members began arriving with a series of pops, ranging from loud to soft. Your mother came here to work in my garden in lieu of walking, which she hates. She's remained safe behind my wards the entire time, if that was your concern. At that, he gave her a hard glare. She's the one who noticed Mathers when we were finishing up. This is where you live? Malfoy rose to his feet, gray eyes now surveying his mother's surroundings. He seemed to take in everything from the chickens chasing each other, to the bits of her garden that were visible from their vantage point, to the white bricks that made up her home. It's remote. Malfoy reached out, skimming the edges of her active wards, with the same hand that bore his signet ring. Close, but not touching. Yes, and it's warded tight. Malfoy trailed his fingers along the invisible barrier, still a hair's breadth away. I can't see them. But you can see your mother, right? Yes. It's because you have the same access to my home as your mother does. If you didn't, you wouldn't be able to see anything. Malfoy's only response was a single arched brow. Hermione looked back at Harry, who was giving directions with authoritative patience to a task force member who seemed confused about where they were. Harry mentioned her house and every single one of them looked around, seeing nothing. The truth of her words seemed to dawn on him all at once. But you are my patient son. It made sense to let you in. His voice was low and controlled. Of course. For reasons unknown, Hermione stepped right to the edge of her own wards, next to him, but still out of reach. I won't let any harm come to your mother, not while she's in my care. You know that, right? The silence that fell between them extended until the sound of her first set of team members leaving the canvas the area. Hermione turned, preparing to apparate into her home to retrieve everything she would need, but hesitated. I know. His voice was so low she barely heard him. Hermione shook off the touch of unease she felt before disapparating, landing just outside her brewing room. From there, she gathered what she needed and made a flu call to Theo to send someone to her home to transport a new patient. By the time she made it back outside, the task force had gone off to explore the area. Narcissa had transfigured something into a chair and was back in her sunglasses, watching what was occurring just outside her wards with a bored fascination. Her guards were standing at attention by her side. "'I have a meeting with my planning team for the end-of-a-season soiree I'm hosting.' "'I didn't expect you to stay,' Hermione replied honestly. Narcissa crossed her legs and laced her fingers together. She wasn't moving.' I thought I might be of some assistance. I was the first to see him, and it was long before we finished gardening. However, he was just standing there, watching. I assumed he was a hallucination. About your hallucinations, I do not wish to speak about them right now, Miss Granger. 
She reached up to touch the ring dangling on the chain around her neck. I have had a rather trying morning. That's understandable. Hermione let it go for now. We'll discuss it later. The witch then lowered her glasses, giving her a cursory once-over as she changed the subject. I see you remain uninjured. Good. I heard the presence of my security guards angered you. He was merely acting on my orders to protect you. I was— She trailed off, adjusting her glasses as she turned her head back to where her son and Harry were, not yelling or fighting, just talking across the stream. The latter nodded, and when one of the task force members arrived back on the scene, he went to speak to them. Malfoy was left alone with the still unconscious Mathers. When he kneeled next to the man and pulled out his wand, Hermione excused herself with few words. After a small tug, she appeared across the stream at the still unconscious man's side, with Malfoy. Immediately she noticed the blood around his mouth and chin had been cleaned. His eyes had been shut, and there was a steady rise and fall of his chest with each breath. He appeared to be sleeping. He would wake soon, and probably need to be subdued. Then she realized something. "'Did you do anything?' "'I'm not proficient in healing, Granger.' Malfoy rose from his stooped position, pocketing his wand. Potter cleaned the blood. "'Okay.' Hermione had no proof, but somehow she knew that he was lying. Much like that morning, though, she gave no indication of disbelief. Nevertheless, there was a curiosity building inside of her that would no longer be ignored. What he had done for Mathers wasn't much, except that it showed a hint of humanity hidden in a small act of kindness from a man who did everything possible to put forth an image that only perpetuated what people already thought about him. Cynical, apathetic, meticulous, distant, demanding. Accurate. Hermione recalled the photo with baby Scorpius from his office, the way Malfoy never shut out his son the way he held on to the boy when he dreamed of his mother, and waited until the very last minute for him to come into the kitchen. Okay, perhaps not entirely accurate. Malfoy's dichotomy was something she hadn't been able to wrap her head around during any of their interactions, and he didn't make figuring him out easy. But really, it had not weighed heavily on her mind until the night of his office. The mystery he shrouded himself in had to be intentional. Malfoy seemed to prefer being an enigma, and she had a few guesses as to why. Not that he would ever confirm if she was right. Still, Hermione thought about it more and more. The only solution to the equation of him was his behavior provided him true privacy, as well as a measure of control. Everyone, friend, foe, or stranger alike, thought that they knew Malfoy well enough to predict what he would say or do in any given situation, leaving him the opportunity to either prove them correct or not. It was always his choice. But it was becoming more and more apparent to Hermione that he hadn't been afforded the opportunity to make many of those decisions for himself, much like his son. Her solution had made sense, in a way, but it begged the question of who he actually was. That had been the constant niggling thing at the back of her mind, that reared to life whenever he did something unexpected, or even something expected. Hermione cleared her throat. "'I called Theo. He's sending a—' Right then, Susan appeared— followed by two Mediwitches Hermione knew only by face. Malfoy stepped away from Mathers and left her to it. In no time, she had explained the situation, detailed the diagnostic charm she'd performed, and handed them the potions. Hermione left them to set up the transport. Duty finished, she approached Harry and Malfoy, who appeared to be having a discussion. When she moved closer, they both looked as if they had been waiting for her to join. Hermione furrowed her brows. What? Narcissa's memory of what she witnessed— Ah, yes. 
She told me that she'd noticed him before she said something. I was wondering how long Mathers had been there, if, at any point, she had seen him from the corner of her eye. Is her memory safe to extract? Harry shot an uncomfortable glance in Malfoy's direction. The man remained inscrutable as ever. She frowned at him, but turned to her best friend, who awkwardly rubbed the back of his neck. I only ask because of her... Dementia, Potter. Malfoy snapped so suddenly Hermione jolted. Harry glared at Malfoy, his jaw clenched. I was trying to be sensitive. When you don't have to be. Not around me. I'm well aware of my mother's disease, and Granger is her healer. She doesn't need your pity. He spat the last word out like it was poison. I'm not pitying her. I'm... Before it devolved into an argument, Hermione mediated. You can extract the memory, Harry. It shouldn't be an issue. And it wasn't. Except, when asked, Narcissa looked at them individually for several awkward seconds before she frowned. Memory of what, exactly? If Hermione noticed the slight way her son's face fell, she wisely kept it to herself. On the ride home from King's Cross after first year, Hermione told endless stories about her time at Hogwarts. Naturally, she left out the bits about ill-advised late-night detention in the Forbidden Forest, Two-Faced Quirrell, and any part where she'd nearly died. If she told her parents everything, they'd never have let her return to her true home. When Hermione explained sorting, about the possibility of being given a choice, her parents had asked her to sort them, just for fun. For her dad, her answer had been automatic. He was the quintessential Hufflepuff with all of the characteristics— loyalty, fairness, impartiality, patience, and modesty. Her mother had been harder, but ultimately she decided on Gryffindor. Hermione felt that she was most like her, daring, courageous, intelligent, and brave. The hypothetical sorting error had gone unchecked for over twenty years before being realized at an impromptu dinner gathering. Everything had been shaped up to a normal evening, one where Hermione arrived with high hopes after spending the entire afternoon following the intruder incident reviewing Narcissus' files. Charles, who had diagnosed her after a battery of muggle tests, had forwarded the results over by Owl, but they were hard to understand, as Hermione wasn't a doctor. There were, however, a few squib physicians that helped at St. Mungo's she could lean on for possible help interpreting the data. She'd spend the rest of her day making appointments. Tired from the long day, Hermione had all but crashed in the chair she always sat in, and spent the better part of an hour half-reading while watching her dad paint with jazz music in the background. And then something happened. A shift. A notable one that occurred when Hermione's father abruptly stepped away from his canvas and cleared his throat. The noise made her lift her head, her eyes falling on his latest work. Daybreak. The moment the sun began to rise. The start of a new day. A beginning. Hermione wasn't much of an artist. She didn't have the skill or the drive, but she knew enough to understand how different this was from his abstract work, how far he'd come as an artist during the course of his classes, the details, from the direction of the sunrise to the star or two on the opposite end of the canvas, were thoughtful and evocative. It was beautiful. Her father stepped back again, now looking with artistic eyes, and tipped his paint-stained fingers against his chin. We're working on different styles in my art class. What do you think? Hermione hadn't expected his, well, anything, if she were being honest, so his question made her heart jump. It looks great, Dad. Her voice was so thick with emotion that it drew her father's attention. Are you okay? It had been years since he'd asked for her opinion about his work. Yes, yes, I am. Good. His modest yet pleased smile inspired one of her own. 
He looked so proud. Navy fingerprint smudges on his cheeks and all. Her dad closed his eyes, letting the swell of music take him back in time. Dizzy sounds great tonight, doesn't he? Hermione wasn't keen on the music, as it had long been reduced to background noise for so long, but she was a fan of her father. He really does. His smile only grew. That feeling of hope and optimism remained until her mother called them downstairs for dinner. Then it died a fiery death when she spotted Ron sitting at the table with her mum. Her dad stopped short at the sight of him, clearly puzzled, but greeted him with kindness nonetheless. "'Good to see you again, Ron.' "'You too, Mr. Granger.' As Hermione blinked in confusion at the sight before her, two things dawned on her. First, her mother's invitation had been a trap. Second, the woman who'd given birth to her was actually a Slytherin. Cunning, resourceful, ambition, determined. "'Ron, stop by to say hello!' Her mother flashed a warm, dramatic smile as she gestured to their guest. "'And since he was on time for dinner, I invited him to stay. I hope you don't mind.' While rolling his eyes, her dad took his seat next to his wife and complimented the meal. Roasted lamb, potatoes, and salad, as he did every day. Hermione already knew the meat would be bland and overcooked at best. She looked at her friend. It wasn't that Ron was a terrible liar— he could lie with the best of them, and look on casually as someone else crafted a tall tale. They had a lot of experience with that, actually. Years. She knew him as well as he knew himself, sometimes even better. And because of that, Hermione knew exactly what to look for. The slight flush and fidget, naturally. But it had been his imperceptible recoil at her mother's words that was damning. It was all the evidence needed to determine that his presence had been planned. Expected. Anticipated. Hermione felt her temper spark, but tried to stomp it out before it could latch. Instead, she smiled. It was a forced and twisted one, thin with barely concealed contempt. "'Oh, how?' she trailed off to exhale her next word. "'Nice.' Because Ron knew her just as well, his eyes widened. He reached for his glass of water and took a long drink. "'It is, isn't it? Have a seat. Ron?' At that, the red-headed man's head jerked up in response. "'Be a love and get Hermione's chair!' Her dad sat back and watched the show while Ron cringed without looking. He likely couldn't help his reaction, because, as her best friend, he already knew the expression he'd seen on Hermione's face, the dangerous spark shooting from her eyes and a look of perfect disdain. Ron knew better than to follow through on her mother's request, especially if he wanted to see the canaries again. "'Uh...' Blue eyes continued shifting as he scrambled to get himself out of the situation. Hermione watched him with the same fascination Al would watch a worm wiggle in the dirt after a storm before she took mercy on him. "'I am perfectly capable of getting my own chair. Thank you.' She took the last empty seat. Ron gave her a weak smile. She glared in return. He swallowed audibly. "'It's good manners, Hermione. You should never turn down a man's kindness.' She was ready to launch into a diatribe for the ages— but remembered where she was and the goal she wanted to accomplish. Hermione closed her mouth, took a breath, and counted to ten, then twenty, before she opened her eyes again and plastered on a smile. "'What's for dinner?' "'I made roast lamb, just how you like it.' Today's meal was more of an effort than she'd made in years. "'Doesn't Ron look handsome?' Her mum wiggled her eyebrow. Honestly, there was no amount of counting that could stop her from saying something before the end of the night— Hermione's dad sighed with uncharacteristic impatience. 
Can we eat now? Yes, dear, we can. Dinner commenced, at least for three of them. As for Hermione, well, there were a million things she wanted to say, and not all of them were nice or in line with her ideal temperament. In her attempt to stifle herself, she only made matters worse. Now everything was tangled up in knots and that were impossible to unravel without disrupting the progress she'd made. Conversation with her dad aside, Hermione had assumed that the irregular invitation had really meant something from her mother, a sign of change or a possible shift in the dynamic she'd worked tirelessly to fix. It had given her hope that she was on the right path towards atonement for her past mistakes with them, but in the end, today's dinner was just a ploy for her mother to play matchmaker, and that burned bad enough for Hermione to stand up abruptly. Mum, a word, please. After dinner, la- now, please. With that, she marched out of the room, leading the way to the sitting room at the front of the house, far away from other ears. When her mum appeared in the doorway, less than a minute later, she did not look amused. Well, that made two of them. Hermione! Her mum began with a patient sigh, stepping fully into the room and folding her arms across her chest. I already know what you're thinking. Hermione couldn't help herself. She snorted in disbelief. The noise made impatience begin its slow creep across her mother's face. You might not see it now, but I am doing you a favor. I fail to see how blatantly ignoring everything I have said is doing me a favor. So please, she waved her hand, explain it to me. Never one to back down. Hermione's mother accepted the gauntlet she'd all but thrown down. You're nearly thirty-two and single. It's not a problem except for the fact that you have been for years. You're not even trying. If that's what you wanted, I'd be fine with it, but it's not. She unfolded one arm to point towards the kitchen, where Ron likely sat in silence with her dad. There's a man in there who's been through it all with you, through things your father and I can't comprehend. He clearly loves you, but you won't even listen to him. Not that it's any of your business, but Ron and I have been down that road already. It didn't work. We're not compatible. Amongst other things, she had no energy to explain in detail. Who's to say it can't now? Talking to her mother was like trying to teach arithmancy to a three-year-old who couldn't even read. You're wasting your time. Not to mention his and mine. Have you been listening to anything? I've... What do you want, Hermione? Do you even know? Her mum ran a hand over her fluffy hair in a move she often did when she was nearing her peak of frustration. It was one of many of their similarities. You've been stuck in the same place for years. Ever since you got sick... You've been at a standstill, busying yourself with your patience and your garden and excuses. Hermione flinched. Thank you for being so supportive, mother. Her mother winced at her own misstep. I'm not saying I don't support you. I'm saying that I am concerned for you. Because I'm 31 and single. Hermione scoffed with disbelief, rolling her eyes. I don't need a partner to be fulfilled, mom. I'm happy as I am. Are you? She took a concerned step forward. Because if you were truly happy, I don't think I'd be so worried. You're drifting and have been for so long that you're lost. I don't understand why you're dead set against a man who wants to make you happy. Because he can't, Mum. He can't. Ron wants to give it another chance. How can he when you've closed yourself up and won't even entertain the possibility that it could work? Hermione pinched the bridge of her nose and took a single, calming breath. I am tired of arguing about something I don't want. 
If her mom heard the shift in her tone, she ignored it. Which leads me back to my previous question. What do you want? Do you even know? You're obviously waiting for something, but you aren't actively looking for it. You've given up, love, and as your mother, that worries me. And perhaps I shouldn't have asked Ron over for dinner. Oh, perhaps, Hermione shot back, hating the shrill in her voice. I've already told you I am not interested, and here you are making him think he can persuade me when he can't. Her mother sighed. I just don't want you to be alone. You'll wake up in ten years and regret the fact that you were too stubborn to settle down with someone who wants you. It's a harsh lesson, but you can't get everything you want. Sometimes you have to find someone and stick with it. That made her recoil, not from her words, but from the implication. It didn't matter so much that it was Ron. Her mother just wanted her with someone, anyone. And that was just selfish, both to her and Ron. She might not love him the way he wanted her to, but he was one of her oldest friends. He deserved more than being her someone. You'll understand one day. Hermione shook her head. She was willing to compromise about so many things, but not this, not now, and not any more. As my mother, you're supposed to encourage me to strive for something more than a warm body. You're supposed to tell me to find someone who understands and accepts me completely, flaws and all, today, as I am, where I am and where I'm going, someone I can do the same with. You're supposed to tell me that I'm worth it and I deserve better than settling for something I know in my bones isn't right for me. You're supposed to tell me to wait. Her mother took several steps toward her, stopping only an arm's length away, as usual. Though she tried and sometimes succeeded, she wasn't naturally a warm and comforting type of parent, far too pragmatic and set in her ways. Your dad wasn't my type and I fell in love with him anyway. It's not settling to be with someone who doesn't match your fantasy. But it is when you don't love them, when you know they don't really love you either. Of course he does. Hermione heaved a sigh. Ron loves the idea of me but not me. That's not fair, Hermione, and you know it. No, listen. She held up her hand. I nag, can be self-righteous and bossy, and while I'm finally at a point where I can accept that I am not always right, it still irritates the hell out of me when I'm not. I'm arrogant and analytical. I'm challenging. I've got my own code of ethics where I frown on breaking one set of my rules, but not another. It doesn't make sense, but sometimes I just don't. I'm slow to experiment without evidence of success. You're more than all of your negatives, love. I know that, but I also know that these are pieces of me that Ron doesn't like, complains about, and wants to change. And while I'm capable of self-correcting, most days I don't want to, because without those imperfections, without those bits of me that he finds aggravating, I'm not being true to myself. If I go back to him, we'll fight, and to keep a long-term peace, I'll have to play a role. I can't stifle myself like that. I won't. I'd rather be alone than feel like I've got to be someone else. You think I don't compromise with your father? There. The difference is that you two love each other. Hermione couldn't stop the swell of emotions. Ron loves the version of he imagines me to be, without those pesky flaws he hates so much. 
but he doesn't work because I'm not her. I'm not who he thinks I am or who I once was anymore. I'm me. Her mother sighed for what felt like the millionth time. I just want what's best for you. You don't even know what that is, Hermione looked away. Dinner's getting cold, and we shouldn't keep everyone waiting. After a gesture to lead the way, and a short staring session that ended without any resolution or any further disagreement, she followed her mother out. The table was as quiet as ever. Her dad was halfway finished. Ron had waited to take even a single bite. When her mother sat down and began eating, he glanced over at Hermione, giving her a series of looks, his way of showing concern. She nodded in return and started on her lamb. "'Dinner looks lovely.' "'Thank you.' Her mother's response was crisp and dry, nothing like the exuberance she'd shown before. Hermione felt bad for being the cause of the mood shift, but she was more upset about the ground she would likely have to make up with her mom after that conversation. Dinner ended up being a quiet affair, layered with tension so heavy it weighed down every interaction. No one could sit still. Fingers drummed on the tabletop, shoes tapped on the tile floors. Fork scraped against the plates. Hermione used the silence to figure out which main ingredient her mother had purposely altered. She'd substituted fresh mint for dried in the Mediterranean mint sauce, which made the texture odd, while noting that the lamb was too well done. Ron chattered on about inane topics to stave off the silence, and her dad went from responding to stealing glances at her mother, who ate with a perfectly blank expression. She didn't say much, but responded to Ron's idle chattel with fond looks, even when the topic was something wizarding that she had no understanding about. All attempts at drawing Hermione into the conversation ended with her mother returning to silence. So after a few times, she reduced herself to little intones, to agree or disagree, all while knowing one thing. Her mother's mood would last through the rest of the meal. And it did. Even through dessert, which was orange honey cake with pistachios. She would have asked for the recipe, but her mother abruptly left to answer a phantom phone call, after serving both her dad and Ron. With a shrug, Hermione plated a piece for herself while her dad watched. Ron wasn't so tactful, but he at least waited to talk about dinner until they had left her parents and were sitting in the grass by the stream outside her house. "'What happened with your mom? Cause she completely changed after you two got back from talking.' "'We talked about her meddling in things she doesn't understand.' Hermione saw no point in lying. You, to be exact. Me. If she invites you to dinner again, and I know she invited you this time, he winced, just do us both a favor and decline. She listened to the sound of slow-moving water and the rumble of thunder coming from the south. I don't want her to keep giving you the impression that you can change my mind when I know you can't. Change your mind. You're not stupid, Ron. She gave him a knowing look in the dying light of the day. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's only one reason why you would accept a dinner invitation from my mother without telling me. And you've had plenty of chances. In fact, just yesterday evening he'd come by, only to find Hermione armed with potions and teas as gifts, on her way to Daphne and Dean's for a visit ahead of the birth of their baby. Ron had gone with her, and lingered until she finished touring the nursery and chatting, accompanying her back home where they watched a film on the telly plenty of time to mention dinner with her parents. Ron sighed. His silly ploy at complete innocence was up. I'm trying, Hermione. He threw a rock in the direction of the stream and frowned when he missed. Just like I told you I would. Tonight didn't go so well. Understatement. 
His next question only hinted at the true scope of his frustration with her reluctance and refusal. "'What do you want me to do, Hermione? I'm—' "'I want you to stop and listen to me, rather than what you want.' She poked him in the arm. "'I didn't ask you to try. Quite the opposite, actually. I asked you to leave us in the past.' He fixed her with a hard stare, but she didn't flinch, didn't blink until he did. Ron rolled his eyes at her stubbornness, his hair gently blowing in the evening breeze. "'Why are you so against me?' Hermione opened her mouth to answer, but he interrupted her, voice soft as his gaze returned to her. "'We loved each other at one point.' Ron wasn't wrong. They had loved each other through war and the false peace perpetuated by the Ministry, through mourning, recovery, and healing— through the thousands of fights and pains in between. Life had been chaotic when they had first fallen for one another. And still, even now, Hermione thought of their time together in the way of first loves, when everything was a first and she had no understanding of the word and its true meaning, when she didn't even know or love herself. For the first couple of years, Hermione thought that love wouldn't be any harder than the war they had just fought and the pain from the losses they had incurred. She thought that love was the answer to all her questions, at that time, Hermione thought love was about being needed, and selflessly putting his happiness before her own, suffering in the name of the word for just the sake of some version of life she wasn't even sure she wanted. It was beautiful in a poetic way, but unrealistic. Hermione grew older, as all people must. She changed. It was inevitable with the life she was living after the war. It wasn't exactly healthy or wise, but at that time, she was focused on the integral role she played at the Ministry as their champion. Little did she realize she was actually their pet, running on their hamster wheel, wearing herself thin and going nowhere. Initially, she hadn't sprouted in the right direction, but at least she was growing. But her love for Ron? That didn't grow. It stayed exactly the same. It got comfortable. Stagnant. As did he. More than that, what made things worse was that he wasn't interested. He felt that they were doing all right as they were, fights and clashes notwithstanding. As he battled for his top place in her priorities. As she rose in the ranks at work, Ron clung tighter to the person Hermione used to be, the girl from Hogwarts, the girl in the tent, the girl that put his needs higher in the months and years after the war because of the loss of Fred, the girl that made him comfortable due to nothing more than familiarity and proximity. A girl she couldn't be any more, not only because she had been working too hard to give him the attention he craved, but because Hermione wanted more. Originally, after the death of their relationship, Hermione thought more was career-related, and she wanted to be the champion for those that couldn't defend themselves. She had plans to make the Wizarding World a better place for everyone, to work diligently, to right all wrongs and end prejudices. And when they began piling more responsibilities onto her to distract her from her efforts, it made it harder to work on her own projects and propose laws, but she sacrificed sleep and food to get everything done. But the fulfillment she sought wasn't related to her work. Not completely. That was something she'd learned during the hindsight provided by the damage she'd done to herself and the fallout of her carelessness. The mending and restoration had led to more self-assessment in the months that followed her departure. It took therapy, buying a house, and starting a garden. It took becoming a healer for Hermione to properly heal herself. Not from what had happened, but from all the trauma that she'd been too distracted helping everyone else overcome to truly deal with on her own. 
It had taken a complete overhaul to become more aware of her identity and reconnect to who she had been before the war versus after, now that the full understanding of how one had become the other. She hadn't determined what the more was, but she was aware of what it wasn't. And to her, more didn't involve going backwards, only moving forward. Nothing to say? Hermione snorted. Now you know me better than that. I do, he sounded so earnest. Looking out at the forest, she steeled herself. This was the last time she would have this conversation. I'm tired of talking about this, especially since you're just going to ignore everything I'm saying in favor of what you want. It's not just about what I want, Hermione. I think you're being stubborn and unreasonable. Ron's undertone of irritation and bitterness burst out into the open, giving his voice to feelings he'd been suppressing for the entirety of their short conversation. "'You've never moved on. You've never—' She jerked her head back to Ron, just in time to watch him run a frustrated hand through his hair. "'That's factually inaccurate. I don't need to be with someone else to prove to you I've moved on. I am sick and tired of having to explain myself repeatedly. I'm tired of you thinking that I have to. I'm not telling you that you have to do anything. I'm just saying that I'm here, and I want to try and see if we can get back to what we used to have. I want—' Do I matter that little to you? Her voice was smaller than intended, but full of everything she felt. You matter a lot to me, Hermione. Of course you do. It's why I keep trying, even though you refuse to give me a chance. That's all I want. One chance. One chance to do what, exactly? You want so much from me, Ron. But what I want doesn't matter to you. That's not love. That's not what it means and how it's supposed to feel. Her, it's about mutual respect and acceptance without making one person feel less than, without making them feel like their wants are born out of stubbornness. It's about so much more than that. So much more than I even have the time or energy to explain. Hermione, I know what love is, and I know we had it. We owe it to ourselves, our friends, and our families to, I don't owe you or anyone anything. The words burned their way out before she could temper her own flames. I only owe it to myself to always be the best version of who I am at every point in my life. I owe it to myself to be happy. Ron lifted his eyes to hers. Her confession was hard to speak out loud, but even more difficult to admit to herself. I... I'm not always happy, Ron. I am restless, and I haven't figured out exactly what I want or what I'm looking for. But I want to... Raw emotion coursed through her, growing wilder by the second. Tears rolled down her cheeks, but she didn't hide them, not from him and not from herself. I want to figure it out. I don't want to settle, and you shouldn't either. You should want more than that. You deserve better than someone who doesn't want the same things as you. Ron said nothing, only looked away. His lips pressed tight while Hermione further opened the door to the parts of her that she had kept private secret, tamped down during their relationship and in the fears following. I... I want to be seen. I want intimacy. I want a connection. I want to be turned inside out by someone who knows me just as well as I know myself. I want someone who loves me for who I am, and you don't. I can't keep bending and contorting and stretching myself thin to keep the peace and make you happy. I'll snap. Again. 
She could tell when the memories jumped to the forefront of his brain, by the way his eyes went distant. Hermione. I love myself. I know my value and identity. Maybe I'll find what I'm looking for. Maybe I won't. But I'll wait the rest of my life before I settle for anything less than what I deserve. And I deserve to be loved correctly. Or not at all. If it doesn't set your soul on fire, it's not worth the burn. See Churchill. Chapter 12. Touch Me Not. May 28, 2011. When the first bookstore opened to Godric's Hollow between the plant store and the pub, Hermione had been at the front of the line. She was a frequent enough visitor for the owner, an older wizard, to offer to unlock the doors two hours early, just for her. Hermione's presence in the town was met with odd looks and the occasional wizard who would ask for her photo, but everyone mostly left her alone. Still just as quaint as she remembered it when she'd come with Harry, the village had expanded in the years after the war, but it was a ghost town early Saturday morning when she knocked on the door of the bookstore. The bell on the top of the door jingled as the door opened, and the older man greeted her with a smile. "'Ah, Miss Granger, I've got some new selections for you to peruse.' "'At this rate, I'll need another bookshelf,' Hermione laughed. "'But not today. I'm here for journals for the kids.' It was something she'd started doing for Harry's kids a few years before. A set of blank pages she encouraged them to fill with whatever they wanted. A creative outlet. Hermione picked out a pink one for Lily to fill hers with scribbles and artwork. There were unicorns on the front, and that was always a safe bet. James would stack his with an assortment of interests, which included Quidditch, and Hermione found one covered in snitches for him. Al was a little harder to choose for, but she found a journal with the planets on the cover that she knew he would like. Selections made, Hermione turned, her elbow catching another journal by mistake and knocking it on the floor. She picked it up, ready to return it to its spot, but caught sight of familiar constellations on the front. Al would likely run out of pages first, and he loved the stars. She slid it on top of the other three. It never hurt to have a spare. The journals were half forgotten, nestled deep into her trusty beaded bag, when she made her second stop. She needed to pick up an item on the short list Narcissa had given her from the plant store. A special order kneeling pad for her comfort. It was ornate and ridiculous, but she bought it anyway, and to reward herself for her continued ability to compromise, Hermione decided to indulge in an aloe plant, too. She was in the process of paying when she spotted a drooping cactus. Is this priced correctly? It was early, too early, as the store had only opened ten minutes before, so when the teenage boy who had barely spoken a word to her covered a yawn with his fist, Hermione didn't judge him. Free cactus. Couldn't be correct. Everything had a price, even a sagging plant. Hermione had never seen a plant look so sad, and she found herself curious about the little thing. When she grazed her fingers against its spines, pushing to find any soft spots that would determine if the plant had, in fact, already died, it still pricked her in a way that told her it was very much alive. It made her smile with thoughts about something else that was just as small and defensive. Perfect, really. The price is correct, but it's a lost cause, the clerk replied with a shrug. Do you want it? If no one takes it by the end of the week, my boss told me just to bin it. Hermione didn't believe in lost causes, so she ended up with a drooping cactus. First thing she did upon arriving home was place the aloe plants with the others in her conservatory. The second thing she did was search every room of her house that contained books for a very specific one that would help in her situation. One about desert plants. Hermione had already had one cactus, a grumpy thing that Luna had brought back from Mexico, spelled to keep dry from the rain and humidity. 
It had no business surviving the English winters in a large pot just outside her back door, but it had stubbornly lived through the last three, and showed no signs of dying, so long as she left it alone. Most of the time, when it didn't need pruning and she didn't need its water for potion, Hermione forgot she even had it. At long last, she found what she was looking for in a chest full of books that she had meant to donate to charity. Relaxing on the ottoman in the conservatory to read, she set the droopy cactus on the small table next to her to bask in the sun. Her skim of pertinent information didn't take long. As it turned out, it wasn't dying. It had been kept in a cold store when it needed warmth, neglected without enough light or water. Of course it was sagging. It was stressed. Well, Hermione could remedy that. Shall we, little one? With dragonhide gloves, the task would be painful to anything else. She set a stasis charm and spent the rest of the hour humming to music from the wireless as she worked to repot the prickly little plant. Hermione considered placing it with the others in the conservatory, but as she set warming charms to keep it at the recommended temperature, Hermione changed her mind. It needed time and attention and the right amount of space. Maybe then it would perk up and grow. Hermione had just finished when her wards announced the arrival of Pansy, and a surprise in the form of a chipper Daphne. Hermione took off her gloves and laid them down before leaving to greet her guests, stealing a final glance over her shoulder at her pitiful cactus. She was just passing the table when Pansy came through the door of the conservatory bearing breakfast with coffees floating above the boxes. Daphne waddled behind her, already sipping on what looked like juice from a straw. They sat at the table and ate French toast because Daphne had a craving for them. "'Don't judge me,' she said after she finished her breakfast and half of Pansy's. "'I'm celebrating.' "'Oh?' Hermione was curious. "'Yes, I went to visit Scorpius, and he looked at me!' That snatched both her and Pansy's attention instantly. Daphne smiled. "'It was only for a second, but—' "'It was progress. "'I didn't stay long. "'Things were tense after Scorpius went to bed. "'Draco brought up therapy to see if I knew anyone in the area for children.' "'Because Daphne had a standing appointment with one, and had for years. "'Hermione had to force herself to breathe because Malfoy had actually listened.' "'What happened?' "'Not sure, but Narcissa wasn't keen on the idea, "'saying there was nothing wrong with him, that he's just stubborn. "'Draco, well, he got frustrated and stormed out. "'I wasn't trying to be around Narcissa any longer than I necessarily had to, "'so I left as well.' "'There were at least thirteen more questions bouncing around Hermione's head, "'but she knew better than to blurt them all out at once. "'Oh, that's interesting.' "'Yes, but also odd. Still, I won't complain. I'm going to ask my therapist for recommendations.' "'Well, that was something.' So they ate French toast to celebrate small victories. "'I'm growing life and trying not to end my husband's because he's hovering.' Daphne rubbed her belly fondly as Hermione laughed along with Pansy. "'Laugh now, but at some point you'll both be where I am now.' They both stopped laughing. Pansy blanched. "'Hope to fucking Merlin not!' "'Besides, I can speak for Granger as well when I say I am happily self-coupled.' Secretly, Hermione didn't completely reject the idea like her friend. "'Wait a minute,' Daphne cocked a blonde eyebrow and rested her folded arms on top of her baby bump. "'Didn't you spray your perfume on Percy Weasley's invitation to your summer solstice party?' "'I would never!' Pansy looked scandalized. At the disbelief on her friend's faces, she tried another angle. "'It was a slip of the hand!' Hermione folded her arms to match Daphne, leaning back in her chair. "'Perhaps I might have done that, but how dare you ruin our circle of trust, Daphne?' "'Oh, I already knew, if that's what you're worried about,' Hermione waved a lazy hand. "'Dean gave Percy the invitation, so of course he told Ron about it. Ron told me the day before yesterday.' 
There was a sour look on Pansy's face for several long seconds. Did he like it? She asked in an uncharacteristic rush for her nonchalant friend. Ron didn't give a detailed account of his reaction, but I know that he cleared his schedule to attend. Hermione watched Pansy smother her pleased expression by smiling into her cup. Last I checked, you were complaining about his flowers. What's changed? Somehow, he figured out that I like orchids and tulips. Pansy gave her a knowing glare. Hermione looked away and whistled. Pansy rolled her eyes. That's what I thought. Anyway, I saw him at the ministry. He asked me to take tea with him, so naturally I gave him the most complicated tea request I could think of, just to be a bitch. Of course she did. But by the time I made it to his office, he had a cup waiting for me. It was impressive. And the conversation wasn't dull. He invited me to lunch on Tuesday, but I haven't responded yet. He's quite rigid. Hermione and Daphne exchanged knowing looks. Pansy's ex-husband had been strict traditionalist, and a very controlling man who made her feel worthless. Well, there were things that had been ingrained in her at birth. She'd done everything possible to leave what she could behind. They both knew their friend ran at a moment's notice when anything reminded her of what she'd left behind. She and Daphne had a silent conversation where the latter agreed to let Hermione take the lead. Percy is... She trailed off for a second, choosing her words carefully. Okay, yes, he's rigid and a bit intense, but he's a good man. And who knows, he might be good for you. Pansy finished her juice and cut her eyes between her friends. Was that supposed to be a pep talk? Bloody hell, Granger, that was terrible. They all laughed. Wear something floral, Daphne suggested. How do you know I'm going to say yes? Because I know you. Hermione never understood their dynamic. They were close, but also cycled between hating and loving each other. Regularly. When Daphne and Dean eloped about a year after the war, to everyone's shock, the former had been distraught when Pansy had cut her out just like everyone else in the pureblood circle. Of course, Pansy had been newly married and living in Germany at the time, under the thumb of her husband. They hadn't spoken until just over three years prior, when Pansy had showed up with bruises from her mother's hexes and wild determination to become a new person. Still, they argued and fought. There had been times when Pansy had refused to go to events if Daphne was going to be there. But all of that ended when Astoria's condition deteriorated, when they'd returned to London, and the inevitable turned into any day now. When she died, and Daphne started to drown in her grief, Pansy had halted her current projects and all but moved into their home for a week to help Dean keep her afloat. For herself and the baby she was carrying. Pansy had fed her crackers while she cried, sat in the tub and held her hand while Dean kept her hair back as she got sick, stayed by her side when she'd wandered around listless, hugged her when she'd wanted it, left her alone when she'd needed it. Pansy had even become quite adept at cleaning charms. And how did Hermione know all this? Because she'd let Pansy talk it out every day, and grieve on her sofa every night. Initially, Dean hadn't been enthused, because of the long-standing animosity between them. But after a few days, when Harry had asked him how it was going with Pansy's invasion after they dragged him out for a pint, he finished his and said, "'She's not so bad.' A week hadn't been enough, as there were no timeline for grief, but Pansy knew it was time to leave them to pick up the pieces together, rebuild, and they did, and they still were. "'Why were you at the Ministry anyway?' Hermione asked. "'I went to have lunch with Draco to annoy him into letting us take him to dinner.' Pansy glanced at Daphne. "'He said yes, by the way, to the group dinner.' Daphne smiled and adjusted in her chair. One or two more shifts in her chair and she would be ready to sit on an actual sofa, with her feet up. "'How much did he argue?' "'He said yes.' 
That's not what I asked. Just yes, you know, let's leave it at him agreeing. Pansy lazily waved her hand. The rest is irrelevant. So? Daphne trailed off with an excited look Hermione had only seen a few times, but it always had something to do with food. Important question. Will there be cake? Nothing had changed. Hermione chuckled to herself, but then frowned, slightly lost. Sorry, whose birthday is it? They both looked at her as if she'd gone insane. It's Draco's. I didn't know that. If she had known that at some point, time made the exact date vanish from her memory. Narcissa hadn't mentioned anything about his birthday. Or him. Only the end of the season soiree she had been chosen to host just before the start of summer. I suppose you wouldn't. Pansy shrugged. Well, his birthday is on June 5th, and he's agreed to dinner. Nothing fancy, of course. Want to join us? Hermione thought she was addressing Daphne, but as it turned out, they were both looking at her. She swallowed, eyes flickering back and forth between the two expectant witches. Um, Malfoy and I aren't... He was a curiosity she had only just admitted to having. Well, admitted to herself, at least. Outside of that, they were acquaintances, but certainly not friendly enough for her to attend his birthday dinner. Well, we're not much of anything, really. Outside of helping him and Harry with the logistics of a raid they're working on and morning tea discussions about articles in the paper, we don't really speak. They exchanged puzzled glances. Morning tea discussions? Pansy folded her hands on her lap. And that is? Uncomfortable, under two sets of probing eyes, Hermione awkwardly shrugged, looked away while examining the ends of her hair. She needed a trim. Badly. We discuss the articles in the paper he's reading. I'm usually making breakfast, but I make him a cup of tea. It's a fruity blend Narcissa likes. It's light. They looked even more confused. Draco prefers either coffee or tea so strong it's almost black. He has never let me make him tea. Pansy informed her with a look so serious Hermione thought there were going to be a test on it later. Could be because you're shite at it? Pansy ignored Hermione's sarcastic comeback. Also, he won't allow outside, well, anything, nor will he eat or drink something he can't identify where it came from. I am genuinely surprised he lets you make Narcissus meals. He's extremely paranoid. The two witches gave each other cagey glances, with good reason. Great. Now there were even more questions crashing together like waves against rocks, but she thought it best if she gave them time to subside, calm down, arrange themselves in logical order preferably when she had a quick-quote squill, or a tape recorder. They were watching her expectantly. Hermione shrugged. Not sure what to say. She was certain he watched her. Maybe that was due to his paranoia that she might lace Narcissa's food, which was patently ridiculous as she had been working hard to keep his mother's faculties intact for as long as possible. If Hermione truly wanted to harm his mother, all she had to do was wait. As far as our mornings, that's how they go. He used to read, work on his crossword, and leave, but now he talks either very little or at length. It depends on his mood and level of agitation with her. Hermione kept that part to herself. But he leaves at precisely seven every morning, despite that one break in the habit. Oh, Pansy snapped her fingers. How did dinner go with your parents? Abysmally, Hermione sighed. Ron was there. My mother was trying to play matchmaker. They both winced, but it was Daphne who spoke up. I heard... How? The fact that their conversation had already spread amongst their friend group had made her immensely uncomfortable. Hermione was an only child, nor did she have many friends before Hogwarts, a private person who kept everything personally close to her chest. Ron, who had so many siblings, never had privacy, so he saw no issues with sharing. 
Their relationship problems being known and spoken about had been one of their many issues while they were dating. After he left you, he went to the pub with Dean and Neville. Dean told me, obviously, Daphne said. Apparently she hadn't told Pansy, who looked slightly betrayed. Wasn't my place, Daphne shrugged and sipped her orange juice. I'll admit, I thought at some point he'd convince you, but I'm glad to be wrong. Pansy relaxed in her chair. Sounds like you're finally admitting that you're not as fine as you are. A sharp spike in adrenaline accompanied her words, but when Pansy held her hand up, Hermione settled down. I don't want details. I'm just glad you've stopped lying to yourself. I'm also glad I don't have to worry about you going back to that, Weasley. She shuddered delicately. Why would you think that? Hermione had to know if something she'd said or done made people think she would go back to Ron, despite being vocal about them not working. Daphne and Pansy exchanged looks before the latter folded her arms and waited while the former looked around and huffed. I like visiting you, not just because we've gotten close over the years, or because I found peace here since my sister died, but I come here to keep you company. It wasn't the only reason Girls' Night was started, but it was one reason. Ginny thought, well, we all know that lonely people will get to the point where they'll do whatever it takes not to be lonely anymore. Daphne gave her a meaningful look. Hermione was embarrassed, shocked. She didn't know how to process the new information. Half of her wanted to be angry, to declare that their worries were not necessary, but the other part secretly knew they had a point, and maybe even a reason to worry enough to start a group activity. I understand that you all were acting as my friends, but I'm not that person. I... We know that now. Daphne rested her hand on her stomach, a sign that her baby was moving. But it's hard to tell what you will and won't do because you're guarded, and you keep yourself incredibly busy. You seem okay, especially when you're taking on everything and everyone effortlessly. But I know how that looks. I've seen it in d Daphne cut herself off and looked down. Anyway, I just thought eventually you would get tired of it and go back. Besides, when you two had that one off two years ago. Merlin, don't remind me, Pansy blurted out. I was barely your mate then, but I wanted to shove you off a cliff when you told me what had happened. I believe you told me just that. Loudly, and with a lot more swearing, if Hermione recalled correctly. Pansy apparently remembered the same conversation and smiled proudly. There was also mention of her being too smart to do something so fucking idiotic. She remembered thinking it had felt like a compliment. Daphne looked between them and shifted in her chair again. Weasley will get over the wound to his ego, but for what it's worth, I'm glad you're not going to settle. Tell me that again when I'm forty and surrounded by cats and chickens. I no more bloody chickens, Pansy exclaimed. Fuck off with that! Daphne laughed. They're cute. One of them pecked me. I can't remember which, so I hate them all. Pansy's logic was clearly sound to herself. Well, I'm not settling, so no worries there. Good. Pansy reached out for Daphne's juice and told the witch slapped her hand, even though she was eyeing the climbing roses. Hermione picked up her own drink and regarded the now frowning Pansy with a smirk. Something she did must have triggered a thought because Pansy's eyes widened, defeat all but forgotten. Speaking of drinks, literally no one was speaking about drinks, Daphne deadpanned. Semantics. A hand waved later and Pansy had fully shifted towards Hermione. About my inhibition potion for my solstice party. How's it coming along? Did Blaze deliver what you needed? One question at a time. It's going well. Blaze delivered everything I needed, so I'll brew it today. If we've missed anything, I have to do inventory later, so I'll be sure to send him a list. It should be ready before the party. I'll make sure he doesn't delay. How strong are you making it? 
Daphne asked. Hermione smiled. Strong enough for Pansy to say hello to Cho, willingly. The blonde witch cut her eyes over to the old classmate. Why exactly don't you like her? I need details, because your hatred of her, while comical, is confusing. Pansy was ready, almost like she'd been waiting for this. She's too nice, too positive, too pretty, too smart, too humble. So, Daphne theorized with a wave of her hand, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't like Cho Chang because she's a good person? Exactly! Then Pansy reconsidered her stance. Well, sort of. It's really because she's too good of a person. It's unnatural. She forgave Granger for disfiguring her friend. That was literally half a lifetime ago, Hermione argued. We've all grown up and Marietta's face is just fine. Well, it was once the word had faded. It took a few years for it to completely vanish. But she was aware that she could have handled that better. Shockingly, there were no hard feelings. The last time she had seen Marietta was at Padma's engagement dinner in February. Marietta was an unspeakable, married to a wizard who worked in magical transportation. They had two children, girls. Her life was normal and she was happy. But still, Pansy argued, if someone disfigured me, would you forgive them? Daphne paused for so long it made Pansy scowl. I mean, let's be honest. Granger's a fighter and will most likely be doing the disfiguring. I am not. Hermione's indignation was wholly ignored. As for me, it depends on what you did and if I liked you at that moment. Daphne flashed a too wide grin. Pansy fixed her lips to argue, but shut them in dramatic fashion, examining her nails. Okay, that's fair. Hermione cleared her throat. I would like to point out that I am out of the disfigurement game. Sure you are. Hermione turned to Daphne for assistance, but only received a raised eyebrow in return. Then she pushed her hair over her shoulder and adjusted in her seat for a third time. By the way she was holding her round belly, it had less to do with discomfort of the chair and more to do with being kicked in the ribs by an active baby. Face it, Granger, Daphne said finally. You're always willing to do what you feel is right, and if that means charming a parchment to make sure everyone remains loyal, then so be it. It's ruthless in a morally gray way that I can respect. She gave a half shrug and Pansy nodded along in agreement. You'll fight for anything you believe in, even when it's not your war. That's who I am, Hermione looked over, catching sight of the drooping cactus that bathed in sunlight. I think you both know, like I do, that some things are worth fighting for. When Hermione became a healer, and later when she privatized and specialized her care in the current department, she made a promise to herself that she would never work on the weekends. For five days she worked diligently, but the weekends were her time to do what she pleased, a chance to refresh, a break from the pressures and routine of working and caring for patients. And with a patient like Narcissa Malfoy, well, she needed the time away. It was mere minutes after Daphne and Pansy had left when Draco Malfoy's name appeared on her calendar, blocking three hours off for a meeting that would begin at three o'clock. Hermione almost declined, and would have had she been confident that he would reschedule for another day during the week rather than the more likely alternative. Not at all. Except he owed her. And yet... Some battles weren't worth starting, let alone fighting, so she accepted the meeting. Then Hermione went on about her chores, gardening and watering the plants in the greenhouse, feeding the chickens and collecting eggs. She made a meal, roasted chicken and potatoes, as his meeting would run right into dinner time, or over should it take longer than anticipated to answer the questions. Time quickly got away from her, as it often did. The sun had peaked in the sky when she turned her work indoors. 
After a quick lunch, she had an even quicker flu call with Ginny. The kids wanted to talk to her, mainly Albus, who inquired about several things, including his marker and his future friend. She got off the call, wondering if Harry and Malfoy had talked about their son's meeting. The lack of surprise from Ginny told her that he'd had at least brought it up to her. That was something. Hermione glanced at her watch. It was a quarter past two, and there was time for one last task before Malfoy's arrival via her office's flu. That way, after he left, she could relax until it was time to meet everyone for drinks. A monthly, or so, outing that had evolved over the years and blended all her social circles together for one loud and boisterous evening. Motivated, she began the careful process of hanging herbs to dry in the designated area beside her brewing room. All while making notes of ingredients she would need to order from Blaze with a quick quote quill. Focused on her task, Hermione barely registered the tingle of her words coming to life, signaling the acceptance of a new arrival. Malfoy. She figured Malfoy would remain in her office, poking around her space as she had done his. So she finished hanging the last of her muslin bags from the ceiling. After dusting her hands off on her jeans, Hermione glanced down at herself and frowned at her denim smock dress, black leggings, and green wellies. Not very professional, but impressing Draco Malfoy wasn't her job, especially not on a Saturday. Still, Hermione fixed her messy bun and threw open the door to her brewing room, only to find Malfoy preparing to step directly in front of the door. The only hint of his hesitation and discomfort was the way his focus initially was further down the hall searching. Well, until it shifted abruptly to her. They both froze like statues. If her heart leapt in her chest, no one was any the wiser, least of all him. Hand still on the door, Hermione's fingers tightened around the knob. I assumed you would wait in my office. I wasn't sure if you had received the meeting invitation via the Magi scheduler. It appears that you... Malfoy trailed off, looking past her into the part of the brewing room he could see from his vantage point. His expression slowly morphed into one that she couldn't quite put into words. Intrigued? Perhaps, in a way. You have a brewing room. Definitely intrigued. Yes, I... The words died on her tongue when Malfoy took an unconscious, distracted step towards her, entering into the outer edges of her space. Hermione inhaled, wanting to step back, but there was nowhere to go. It wasn't their first breach of personal space, but this one made her take notice. After that night with Scorpius, Malfoy had maintained his distance, physical or otherwise. It seemed like a conscious effort. He would observe and dissect, comment and argue each of his points to resolution, but he operated from the safety of his own citadel, never leaving. But Malfoy's almost unlimited self-control, and his aloof and guarded manner weren't limited to just her. She knew that from her own observations and interactions. From his mother, to Harry, to everyone he spoke to at the charity event, he treated everyone differently, according to several factors, like history and propriety, but kept them all at arm's length, never letting anyone close. Hermione hadn't bothered to analyze him from that vantage point before, or compare them to the times when he'd stepped too close, because it never mattered. Until right then, when Malfoy stepped into her territory. Unsure of her own voice, Hermione stepped aside, putting as much space between them as she could. "'Would you like a tour?' It was the only question she could think of to ask. Malfoy didn't respond with words, just accepted her invitation with one of his piercing looks. With nothing else to do, Hermione watched him as he explored from the doorway. He had dressed casually, though it didn't seem like the best word to describe his attire. Still black, of course, but more relaxed. The fit of his trousers weren't so perfect, and the top two buttons of his dress shirt were unbuttoned. He didn't even wear a jacket or a tie. Business casual. 
Malfoy's first stop on his journey round the room was to the wall alongside the door with floor-to-ceiling bookshelves. It was filled to the brim with potion tomes that he greeted by running his fingers across the spines, stopping every so often to read a title. The careful manner in which he explored caused an odd feeling to blossom in her chest, one she didn't know how to describe, only that it didn't feel right. Strange. From the books he continued on, the sound of his shoes echoing on the stone floor. He had a quick look in her drying space, where herbs hung low from the ceiling in muslin bags. It was perfect for her height to reach up, but a challenge for him if he didn't want to bump into any of the sacks and disrupt their progress. With one backward step, Malfoy exited, turning toward the main attraction. Her cauldrons. All of them. Beneath two large windows, with the curtains currently drawn, there was a table that stretched the entire width of the room. Five cauldrons of increasing size and density sat on top, made with different bases and equally spaced apart, with spots to prepare and chop. Each cauldron had a specific purpose. All were ready for immediate use with a small, hovering bookstand, ready to meet her at the cauldron of her choosing. Under the table were extras that weren't needed often, the rare ones. With his hands behind his back, Malfoy examined each, sizing them up in silence so tense she instantly wanted to fill it with words. Something. Hermione barely managed to stop herself from providing a lengthy explanation about her reasoning behind having so many cauldrons. Barely stopped herself from visibly twitching. There was an odd feeling growing in her chest as he went from small to large, and then turned his attention to the largest of them all. In the center of the room, with its own bookstand, was her biggest cauldron, aptly named by Harry when she'd first purchased it over two years ago, Tank. It was easily large enough to completely submerge her should she sit inside it. To use it, due to her height, Hermione had to stand on a stool. There, and gone, a thought passed. Malfoy wouldn't need anything. Like the others, he inspected it with the same careful ease as he showed all her cauldrons. The second time, he brought one hand from behind him to run a finger along the brim of it as if he were checking for dust. Her fidgeting worsened as his tour continued, and she wrung her hands together and tapped her foot. Playing with her hair and dusting invisible dirt from her smock dress, not knowing where her agitation stemmed from bothered her, but Hermione wrapped her fingers around her left wrist and squeezed to further tamp down the peculiar feeling twisting and heating up inside her. Or she tried to. But it wasn't working. Malfoy vanished into her stores, with its rows and shelves that started off just off the floor and ended right above the doorway, packed with ingredients she'd either stored herself or purchased. For a second, he remembered that her quick quote squill was still in there, ready to continue her list. She wondered if he would look. Probably. Then she wondered if she would still feel so strange if he were making comments, critical or otherwise, or maybe even if he asked questions. But he said nothing. His expression wasn't detached, but it wasn't welcoming either. Intrigued, but not exuberant. In fact, as the silence continued on, his unresponsiveness marched her closer and closer to an unfamiliar edge. The longer Malfoy was out of sight, the more Hermione continued to stew in discomfort, until the answer dawned on her like a lost key that had been in her hand all along. Outside of herself, no one had ever been interested enough to look around explore, analyze, and now Malfoy, of all people, was in there doing just that, inspecting a part of her world that she had never shown anyone. A place where Hermione spent enough time to not see the flaws. Teacups left around the room, bulbs that needed changing, a tank that could use a thorough cleaning as well. It was a part of her that, thanks to his visit, she'd only just realized was private. The invasion didn't feel good. 
not because of anything he was doing. No, her feelings stemmed from within, and the fact that all she could do was wonder what he was thinking, if he was thinking anything at all. Was he observing her world instead of judging it? And did he like what he saw? She needed to know the answer, if only to satisfy a minuscule part of her curiosity, not to know if he approved. Hermione first rubbed her temple, then dragged her hound down her face, cursing herself for letting him in instead of redirecting him to her office. Unfortunately, she had no one to blame but herself. By the time Malfoy emerged from her stores, face still annoyingly blank, Hermione had managed to wrangle her features into an arrangement resembling clinical neutrality, but only after she'd subdued her agitation into submission. Hermione cleared her throat. "'Are you finished?' In lieu of an answer, Malfoy took one last look around. "'I wasn't aware that you brewed in your home.' "'Your mother's potions need to be made weekly. Where else would I be able to brew?' He looked back at her, gray eyes slightly widening with surprise. Meanwhile, hers narrowed. "'She didn't tell you?' "'We don't discuss her treatment.' Malfoy's face hardened, confirming what she had already observed. They didn't discuss much of anything. Hermione kept the questions about that to herself. His visit wasn't casual. Favor or not, it would be a shame if he left in anger before she could get the information she needed. Malfoy touched Tank's bookstand. I still find it strange that you're the one who brews my mother's potions. She stood up straighter, stance defensive. We're not about to have this brewing with books argument again. I'd rather not repeat that particular exercise in futility. You still disagree with my method, then? I doubt a few weeks will change either of our fundamentally different stances on the subject. Malfoy gave her a pointed look that she ignored in favor of glancing in the direction of her drying room, noticing that one of the muslin bags was perilously close to slipping off. My surprise stems from the fact that not only do you brew, but you have an entire room dedicated to a craft that you are not passionate about. I think the fact that I have an entire room shows at least some level of passion. Perhaps to your career, but not to the art. Hermione fought back a scoff. That's a bold assumption. Tell me then. His eyes fell on her like dead weights. Am I wrong? Well, no, he wasn't, which burned. However, Hermione would rather fling herself off the metaphorical bridge she was trying to construct than give Malfoy the satisfaction of being correct about anything that pertained to her. That had been a lucky guess. Are you still checking your mother's potions batch? Yes. Malfoy matched her in both attitude and posture. I make it my business to look at everything and every one that enters my home. Because you only trust yourself. Now it was his turn to remain silent. It felt like they'd reached a stalemate. Neither were gaining any ground. Rather than dig trenches, Hermione gestured to the door. We should get on with the purpose of your visit. If you'll follow me... She led the way out and was already in the hall before Malfoy could so much as move. Still, she watched with a certain level of questioning discomfort as he took one last look around before following her out. Hermione took a large step back once he filled the space in the hall with his presence. Lead the way, Granger. Normally she would have routed him back to her office for their meeting, but her own agitation made her change her mind and adjust. The thought of being with him in her crowded office for the length of time needed to go through her questions made her uncomfortable. She needed the space, the sunlight. In just a moment, Hermione left him standing there, deliberately ignoring the look on his face. After gathering everything she needed, the set of questions she'd transposed to the parchment she'd given him, notebook, pen, and recorder for the bits she inevitably missed, she returned to Malfoy, who hadn't moved from the spot. 
and if she caught him still glancing back to her brewing room, well, it gave Hermione the answer she had been trying to discern from his silence. Malfoy approved. Hermione continued down the hall that led to the open space of her living room and kitchen. Looking over her shoulder at the sharp-eyed man, she wasn't surprised to find him taking it all in, scrutinizing her home. He had only seen from the outside, and it was so different from his. Color in spots where his was neutral, cluttered where his was empty. The scent of cooked food still lingering in the air, and two plates sat on the island under a stasis charm. She thought Malfoy would comment, but he didn't, eyeing the herbs in the windowsill above her sink. Just this way. Hermione opened the door to her conservatory, leading the way to the table. Malfoy just stood in the doorway, eyes moving back and forth, taking in what his mother had called her jungle just the day before. Whether that had been a compliment remained to be determined. Hermione was setting up the table when Malfoy finally joined her, still looking around, even as he retrieved a shunken briefcase from his pocket. He took his eyes off their surroundings to spell the briefcase back to its regular size. After summoning what he needed, his glasses and the parchment she'd presented him with, he stood next to his chair, his eyes on her, waiting. Maybe for her, maybe for the battle to begin. But today there was no need for a fight, not when his presence was the equivalent of an armistice, however temporary. Before we start, I suggest we take a short walk. We can call it a continuation of the tour of an Icebreaker. It wasn't a stretch at all, or even an uncommon act when meeting with a family member of a patient. Granted, it usually happened either in her office, at home, or at the hospital. This location would be new, even if the suggestion was the same. But Malfoy looked at her as if she were asking him to do the impossible, like stand in the center of an inferno and not choke on the flames. An icebreaker. The texture of his voice felt like silk brushing against her nerves. The activity would be appropriate if we were strangers. Malfoy's brow quirked so quickly she almost missed it. I don't believe you when I meet those qualifications. First and foremost, we aren't strangers. Hermione folded her arms. But we aren't friends. You are correct. They weren't anything at all, outside of people whose lives had been entwined to the point where they had shared a space, conversation, and a rare meal. Two people who had grown up together, seen each other in school for years, interacted, but didn't know each other at all. Her analysis felt like a gross oversimplification of the complex maze that was their past and present, but that was the best Hermione could do with the question mark standing in front of her. I still think an icebreaker would... You didn't invite me here to get to know me. You invited me here for forty-six questions, but since you insist, Granger, lead the way. After a lingering look, Hermione did just that. The late May air was warm and slightly humid. The breeze was still scented from last night's rain. It was sunny out something that was becoming less rare as they marched towards summer. Blue skies expanded in all directions, with thin clouds that did little to block the sun, but that didn't matter. It might not have been a true icebreaker, but Hermione found that she needed the moment more than Malfoy did. She began to unfurl like a tightly closed flower under the expanse of the afternoon sky, that coiled spring inside her chest slowly unraveling. The inhale she took was deep, rehabilitating, and when she exhaled, it felt like the first time she'd done so in weeks. The air around them had little to do with the simmering tension Hermione constantly felt in his presence. That was as normal to her as magic itself. No, the environment was peaceful, relaxing, liberating. Removed from civilization, all that was left was the green expanse of the pasture that stretched to the edges of the forest, clucking chickens, 
wind rustling the trees in the breeze, and the small, unconscious reminders of Malfoy's presence. He hadn't so much as looked in her direction, since opening the door with a polite yet stiff, after you, gesture. His gray eyes had taken to the skies and the world beyond her home, absorbing everything. Malfoy looked indifferent for a while, his default setting. But with each glance Hermione stole, the more she wondered and thought something might be there, a quizzical sort of approval. Or she was hallucinating and it was nothing. But then Malfoy abruptly stopped and looked back. You grow mainly herbs in both root and leafy vegetables outdoors. That was not a comment Hermione had expected. Yes, at least I do this time of year. There are a few fruits I'm growing out here. She pointed to each. Strawberries are over there. Rhubarb. I've cleared that bed to plant pumpkins, and that one is for courgettes. And you grow all of this for your patients. Another one of his non-questions that begged for an answer. Mostly, but also for my family, friends, and myself. It's purposeful. Hermione looked around and made a random thought struck at her at the oddest of moments. Scorpius would love it here. Her head snapped back to Malfoy, who had gone from carefully blank to contemptuous. Definitely the wrong thing to say. What makes you say that? Hermione could tell he was ready for an argument, but in defense rather than offense. She made herself relax, removed the natural edge from her tone, and continued walking, only looking over at Malfoy when he started walking with her again. She stared straight ahead, smiling as the thought of the little boy holding the sprig of mint like it was something precious. He likes plants. Loves was the more appropriate phrase, given his daily reaction to each sprig and clipping Hermione let him hold over breakfast. Narcissa allowed it, as she had a similar passion, but said nothing. She just watched, observed. She had questions, Hermione could tell, and they likely pertained to the fact that every day since he'd taken her hand, Scorpius was shifting closer, looking at her more, staring. When Hermione sat next to him, instead of across the table the day before, he'd held the hem of her shirt for most of breakfast. Neither of them had moved until it was time for him to go to his lessons. It had been a blur trying to divide her attention between Narcissa and Scorpius, but the only thing she remembered was not wanting to sever the little connection he had reached for. "'And you know this. How?' The answer was layered. "'I bring him a clipping or sprig of plant each day. Or at least I have been since Tuesday.' When confusion crossed his strong features, Hermione knew just what to say. "'Your mother knows.' Which didn't return Malfoy to his default. His quiet demand for more became louder in the silence. But there wasn't much to tell. Scorpius was still the same hyper-obedient child who did everything as he should, both in his grandmother's presence and out. Still the miserable and lonely boy with a rigid schedule, weighed down by ridiculous rules and training. Still the child whose cup she moved from right to left each day. The one she waved at each time he left. It had been a few days since he'd taken her hand, but the shift had begun. That was hard to articulate. Each reaction to a new plant was slightly different than the previous. Chamomile got her worried looks until Narcissa lifted the book to cover her eyes. Lavender was the first he'd accepted in his grandmother's presence. Rosemary stirred his curiosity, and yesterday he held on to the parsley longer than he had any of the others. Hermione found herself already planning, listing, and ordering herbs that she wanted, so he likes plants. Malfoy's statement ended her musing abruptly. Yes. There was a small part of her that waited with bated breath for further questions and scrutiny, but none came from the man beside her who observed everything with his hands clasped behind his back. 
Malfoy continued walking, and Hermione fell in step with him, only stopping once they reached the greenhouse, and he opened the door for her without asking. "'I can—' Malfoy held the door open wider, barely concealed impatience etched in his expression. Exactly why he was doing it had little to do with want and more to do with his own etiquette, manners, and training. She really hated that word. With a huff, she walked through the door, and when she heard it shut with a soft click, Hermione turned and caught him. Hermione's hand was still on the knob, but his sharp eyes were everywhere, taking in the space she spent just as much time in as she did the inside of her home. There was a part of her that wanted to be as uncomfortable with his exploration here as she had been in the brewing room, but he didn't seem judgmental. Just curious. Malfoy walked past her as if she didn't exist, but she casually invited him to have a look around. Not that he heard her. Hermione excused herself to fix a few of the large bags of soil that were leaning precariously. The task took longer than anticipated. One of the bags was close to ripping, and then she decided where they were wasn't the best place. A few charms later and her task was complete. She didn't have to look long to find Malfoy. Black contrasted with everything vibrant and light. Hermione found the color abrupt and sharp, but against the lush surroundings of her greenhouse, Malfoy was striking. And when he carted his fingers through his hair, well... She took out her wand to check the temperature-controlled charms. The charms were fine, weirdly enough. Hermione joined him in front of the tangerine tree. None were ripe yet, but there would be plenty when it was ready. She followed him over to the lemons that were mere days away from pickable condition. "'No wonder you need my mother's help with gardening.' His first comment. "'I didn't need it, per se. Or her very haughty criticisms of, well, everything. But missing horror and lost memories aside— the experience hadn't been entirely negative. Hermione had learned a lot, written down more, and was looking forward to their next gardening session. I've already told you this, but she finds exercise tedious, despite the importance of physical activity in her care plan. Your mother enjoys gardening, as you might know, and, well, Hermione gestured to the life around them, it was a compromise. Funny, she's never been good at those until you. She snorted. She's likely never needed to study the art until me. So there's that. Malfoy didn't disagree. I also don't think I've seen my mother so frustrated with a person. Outside of you? Hermione cocked a brow. Narcissa was endlessly frustrated, both with her son and by his actions, or lack thereof. He didn't issue a denial, nor did he argue. Malfoy did what he was good at. He created a verbal diversion. What are the empty tables for? For expansion purposes. She skimmed her fingers along the green leaf of the arca plant. I have to ensure the quality of the ingredients I use for potions I brew for my patients. Malfoy remained silent, but when he spoke up, his tone was even and casual, even if his words were not. Have you answered your questions yet? About? Me. Hermione's mouth dropped open as she sputtered, shocked and unable to form a good argument that he wouldn't cut through with the same finesse he employed on his crosswords. I... There was space between them, but it barely equaled a meter. Hermione found herself lifting her chin up just to keep watch. In the unfiltered brightness of the greenhouse, Malfoy's eyes were piercing, searching, cold despite the controlled warmth of the space. Feeling cornered in an open room wasn't new, but when Malfoy turned and eliminated half of the distance between them, she felt the uptick of her pulse, felt time all around her slow, felt that familiar sensation of fight or flight. I know when I'm being analyzed, Granger. 
Malfoy said coolly, still probing for whatever it was about her that, if Harry's comment was to be believed, didn't ring true or honest. "'You've been assessing me since becoming my mother's healer. You've been doing it since I got here.' It was easy to lie or divert elsewhere, but no, that wasn't in her nature. "'So have you,' Hermione brashly stared at the man, still observing her with an intensity that she was now familiar with, but still unsettled by. The warring emotions in her should have stolen her eloquence, but instead it made her bolder. "'Have you figured me out?' The silence that followed her question was only a few seconds, but it felt never-ending. Hermione used it to predict his next move and figure out her own. She knew, like she knew every plant in her vegetable patch, that Malfoy was doing the same. Even though she had a list of ideas about his response, he still managed to surprise her by issuing a silent agreement— he gave her no option but to take it when he lifted his eyes past hers before continuing his tour of her world. Hermione went with him. She analyzed their exchange to death during the silence that continued even once they were outside her greenhouse and matching strides as they ventured towards the forest. His choice, not hers. They were just starting the walk when Malfoy's hands disappeared into the pockets of his trousers. His relaxed posture was the opposite of his stern expression. Hermione could almost feel his coiled tension. I suppose, to fulfill your requirement for an icebreaker, since we have but a few safe topics of discussion, we could continue the argument regarding your need to separate your pragmatism from your idealism, or I could leave it on the calendar for Monday. A flash of memory from last night's argument with both her mother and Ron appeared in her head. Better leave it there. After last night, I've done enough arguing to last me weeks. One blonde brow rose, but he said nothing further. Why she offered more, Hermione had no idea, but honesty spilled from her unchecked. My mother has ideas about how I should live my life, and I— and then she realized who was on the other side of the conversation. She snatched her words back before more could escape, except for— Apparently yours does, too. Apparently so. Malfoy's gaze returned to the pastor before him. But that's not a topic I'm willing to discuss. With you. Same— there was a pause, a shift in the breeze and energy between and around them. Malfoy's attention went to the rustling trees. Your wards are intriguing. Did you set them yourself? No, I had a specialist set them when I first moved in after the threat started. I've read enough to learn how to make improvements. He rolled his eyes and shook his head, a hint of amusement playing at the corner of his lips. I improve the security measures and the bit of warding magic that both allows and restricts access to my home. How far do they extend? Everything that falls within my property, which extends into the forest. When she glanced over, it seemed as though he were making a mental note, which made a small alarm go off. Leave it to Malfoy to change the rules. These don't sound like icebreaker questions. They're not, he admitted. Potter is curious how Mathers got past your diversion wards, as am I. He makes your wards sound almost infallible, but I know that nothing is perfect. I'm curious as well. However, in honesty, she hadn't had time to really investigate. As far as my wards, they're strong, but I've never said they're perfect. With enough power and force, they'll fall too, as will the wards over your home. And yet, you remain confident, despite the obvious threat against our lives. One that quite literally showed up at your home. As opposed to what? Living in fear? I refuse to do that. Hermione turned to look back towards her home. I'll check the diversion wards to see what happened. When Malfoy said nothing in response, she looked back at him just in time to catch the breeze ruffling his hair. 
causing part of it to part from the rest. He didn't notice, or she was sure he would have rushed it to fix it. But the imperfection made him look slightly less severe, more natural, approachable. Handsome. A traitorous voice whispered, and she pointedly ignored. How is Mathers? Hermione asked to silence and compartmentalize the word. Stable, but sedated. Responding to the antidote well. Davies said that his mind... Malfoy shook his head. The fact that Roger was on his case meant that he'd dropped everything to do so, which wasn't a good sign. His memories were too fractured to extract. Even if he does recover, he'll be a shell of himself. They're just trying to make him comfortable at this point before reviving him. Which was tragic news. He looked so young. But then Hermione remembered something. The letter. What did it say? Standard threats that they've been making for months, releasing the poison into the air. Despite the fact that Malfoy made his entire statement seem like old news, it was new to her. The poison was deadly enough to touch alone. Once it made it into the bloodstream, it was hard to come back from. Seeping into someone's pores would make that happen a lot quicker. The wider implications of such an attack would be astronomical. They wouldn't have enough antidotes to treat everyone. Choices would have to be made. It... She would need to talk to someone about mass-producing the antidote instead of leaving it in the hands of a few staff members who knew how to make it. It would take months, but it could save so many lives. It also said something odd at the bottom. Don't hide. An icy chill shot up her spine and buried itself there for a few agonizing moments before fading away. Gone, but certainly not forgotten. She knew that message was personal and directed at her. Oh... It was the only thing Hermione could muster. Her attempted subtlety must not have worked because Malfoy was now scrutinizing her. She looked down at her shoes before focusing on the path ahead. Al's marker was getting closer. She felt his eyes on hers long after she looked away, but that didn't stop it from rattling her nerves as she approached a topic that returned to her focus to each full moon, one that was a little too personal to discuss with the sun in the sky. Was Mathers bitten? Hermione chanced to glance at the man. Yes, he still looked suspicious. Not during a full moon. He sounded suspicious, too. Potter said he would continue investigating the note. Independently. Whether or not Malfoy knew it, his last word meant that very soon, Harry Potter would be around to discuss security options that she didn't want or need. There would be meaningful looks and Ginny as backup, but Hermione would be ready with the threat of a long talk about keeping secrets in the form of biological warfare threats. To her surprise, Malfoy said nothing else on the topic. When they passed Al's marker, Hermione ran her hand along the top of the flag. "'Has Harry talked to you about setting up a playdate between your sons?' There was a small hesitation in his step. "'Is that what he was trying to discuss with me yesterday?' His voice was dry, but there was a hint of amusement. "'How interesting!' Would you consider it? I doubt my mother would have any opinion one way or the other. She would encourage a friendship between the two, for strategic reasons, of course. No further explanation was needed. Narcissa was always planning for the future, and Albus was a potter. There was value in a name, or so a woman like Narcissa Malfoy would think. A friendship between the pair, something Malfoy had failed at when given his only opportunity, would be a good look for the Malfoy family. It would afford Scorpius a certain protection he'd likely need in the event of trouble when he went to Hogwarts. Smart of her to allow an alliance, but Hermione found herself willing to look past all the machinations to what was truly important. Two lonely children in desperate need of a friend. 
Would you encourage it? She asked the man, who glanced over once the question was out, mouth forming a tight frown. Scorpius has never been around other children, just us and the staff. Hermione's heart hurt once again, pain ragged and dull. Why not? The question went unanswered, but she had an inkling that it had to do with security and threats and the reason behind the familiar scars on the back of Sax's hand. Hermione understood, but also didn't. Not that she had the chance to utter anything before Malfoy cleared his throat. Did he... A quick pause was taken to push past the reluctance that was displayed so openly on his face. Malfoy exhaled and tried again. Did Scorpius ever come down yesterday? Hermione wondered how long that question had been on his mind. The way he forced it out meant that it had been there for a long time, possibly longer than he'd been at her home. He watched you leave. Malfoy said nothing, just looked away. There was a weariness to him, one that was both foreign and familiar to her. It echoed in the open space around them, hinting at more than exhaustion, a pain that was bone-deep and visceral. Initially, Hermione was rendered speechless, but the need to fix everything overrode her good sense and she couldn't keep quiet. You should try again. Maybe he— Don't meddle, Granger, Malfoy snapped, but there wasn't much heat to it. Just a firm resolve, a resigned sort of severity from someone so far outside their comfort zone that they were beginning to disengage. Slow down. Give up. And while it wasn't her place, Hermione had been on both sides of their missed connection, the link between father and son. She had a grip on one end, and found herself trying to grab the other before it drifted away. But Malfoy was too stubborn and trapped by his own self-reliance to grab hold. It might have been a fruitless effort, but Hermione couldn't watch a man drown without offering some aid. Usually she preferred action, but this time words would have to do. Don't give up on him. A swell of emotions caught her off guard. You're all he has left. Malfoy never said anything to her statement, remaining in what appeared to be a thoughtful silence for the rest of the walk. But when they returned to her home, his first question made a tiny bloom of hope sprout where none had existed before. When would this playdate take place? The ice wasn't completely broken, but they got to work anyway. Malfoy put on his glasses, picked up the parchment with her questions, and scanned it more than once. Over the rim, he gave her a long stare, followed by a quick quirk of his brow that seemed unapologetically smug. And if the sequence briefly lit up the small portion of her awareness that registered attraction, Hermione... well, it didn't matter. She killed the power to the entire section for the second time that day without a second's hesitation. Because, no. "'Where would you like to start?' he asked, voice low, entirely focused on his task. Despite killing the lights, Hermione found herself blinking at him repeatedly until she recovered, looking away and down as she touched the side of her warm neck, then back at the man across from her, who was flipping through the pages as if checking to be sure he'd brought them all. No matter how many times she'd seen him in glasses, it still momentarily tripped her up, especially when he was right there. "'Wherever you'd like.' Distractedly, Hermione picked up her recorder, do you mind if I tape this? I don't mind. Malfoy didn't look up, not even when she started the recorder and sat it on the table between them. Your questions aren't in order, so I took the time to organize them chronologically. Hermione's hand stalled mid-reach for her pen. You did? That means you... Malfoy shot her a piercing look. Looked at your questions? Obviously. You aren't the only person capable of higher thought, Granger. Of course not. 
She rolled her eyes with a scoff. I'll be honest. I was expecting more attitude and less cooperation, as you've made it pretty explicit that you're not interested in being involved. In an instant, his expression hardened. I don't like owing anyone anything. Well, that settled that. Hermione reminded herself about picking battles for the second time. What number did you arrange to be first? Nineteen, coincidentally. Any known similar illnesses in her family history? The answer is complicated, and likely why she didn't answer it. Malfoy folded his hands together on the table in a move that drew her attention first to his long, lean fingers, then to his left wrist. There wasn't even a hint of a tattoo she knew was there from what she'd seen in Harry's office. She frowned in confusion. Obviously, my aunt. Malfoy trailed off with a distasteful frown. If he stared any harder at that parchment, it would likely catch fire. She wanted to tell him that she'd moved on. Had to because she wanted to live her life not haunted by the past and all the nightmares from it. Instead, Hermione cleared her throat, gesturing for him to continue. I haven't found any other incidents of my mother's form of dementia on either side of her family. He looked? Judging from his expression, Hermione knew better than to ask. Nothing similar? Outside of outright insanity, born from nature, nurture, or Azkaban? No. She made several notes as Malfoy continued on. That question leads us into the second, number 34, which further questions her family tree, as it pertains to intermarriages. Hermione found the question after a brief scan. I only ask due to a lot of pure-blood tendencies toward inbreeding to remain unsullied. It's well documented that the act can and will affect future generations due to the lack of genetic variety, making them more susceptible to insanity and rare diseases, even those not commonly found in wizards, like your mother's. Ah, uh, I deny it, but the House of Black's motto is toujours pur, so take that as you will. Malfoy tilted his head, glancing at her before shrugging almost casually. At the time, it wasn't uncommon, but some families took it to extremes, like the Gaunts. As far as the Blacks, I believe there are a few instances of second cousins marrying and having children, but nothing closer than that. Hermione was surprised, not by his words, but how candidly he spoke them. He was still a little detached, but she could acknowledge that they were beyond throwing accusations about the other's character. It was progress. Maybe her expression was a little too astonished for Malfoy, because from one breath to the next, his tone changed from his version of normal to incredibly curt. "'You asked for answers to fill in the gaps my mother wouldn't. I'm giving them. No need to look so shocked.' That earned him a dubious look. "'Excuse me for being skeptical. You've refused to so much as discuss her condition with her, yet now you're helping me freely with information it appears you've done research on. Favor or not, it makes no sense.' Thus far, getting any sort of information out of Malfoy had been like cleaning layers of paint off an old table. She scraped tirelessly, but it would only come off in only little chips and flecks. Today, in several short minutes, she'd gotten more out of him than she had in all of their morning conversations combined. It made no sense. I don't do anything in halves, Granger. Either I'm assisting as requested, or I'm not. Apathy flowed off him in waves. It's your choice. He made no sense. But she was intelligent enough to know when to draw and when to fold. She did the latter, but only after skimming her notes while under the weight of his gaze. So, Hermione cleared her throat lightly. No creatures in the bloodline. 
Malfoy exhaled something just above a whisper, and rolled his eyes with an attitude that cut through his normal stoic nature. "'Just because I'm pale and have white blonde hair doesn't mean I have Vila blood. The same goes for my mother.' "'She's the only blonde of the Black Sisters,' Hermione shrugged. "'The question is valid.' "'True, but still utterly ludicrous.' Hermione would have laughed had he not looked up so heated. "'So, no Vila blood or instances of intermarriage. Genetically, all pure-blood families are related in some capacity. Potter and I are cousins, in a way. Same goes for him and his wife. However distant. No one bats an eye beyond third cousins.' Frowning distastefully, she underlined intermarriage twice. "'That's still disgusting.' "'That's the pure-blood way. At least it used to be.' It's culture with traditions that are dying slowly as well. Or so I think. There was something cold in that tone, despite the warmth of the room, made her inwardly shudder. My mother has a different opinion, as you likely know. Hermione did, in fact, know. It's impossible that every person in every pureblood family is actually a true pureblood. The signs of inbreeding would become obvious throughout the generations, whether through various deformities, infertility, or madness. Malfoy agreed. I know of other well-respected families that aren't fanatical, and have members that they acknowledge aren't completely pure in blood. I believe this is how things will become in the future, distinguishing by name instead of blood purity. And you are okay with that? Hermione only asked because of how he had been raised. But it was the wrong question. Malfoy leveled her with penetrating gray eyes, his response so low and deep she almost didn't hear him. I'm not that boy anymore, Granger. He sounded so honest that it made for mutual discomfort, but for two entirely different reasons. Malfoy seemed unsettled by his own honesty. Hermione was unsettled by him as a whole. Everything from his quiet confession to him drinking light tea that he didn't like, according to two people who knew him far better than she did. From the way he didn't argue about her bringing food into his home, to the way he silently familiarized himself with her world, admired it, however subtly. Hermione was so baffled she felt that she had to answer the questions about Malfoy that had been flying around in her brain. With attentive eyes, she observed the way his gaze dropped back to the parchment. He wasn't reading, only staring as he seemed to reset, lower his iron gates, raise his drawbridge. However, before Malfoy could completely isolate himself in his fortress, in a voice just as quiet as his, Hermione asked him a question that had been burning inside of her for weeks now. "'Who are you?' "'I'm—' In the blink of an eye, he shut down and sealed himself off. "'Tight. I am not your patient.' But it was natural for Hermione to push. Call her thirst for knowledge a character flaw that had gotten her into some sticky situations in the past— but that was who she was, and without a second thought she began pushing, not thinking at all about the person she was trying to delve into. She wouldn't go too far, just a peek. A handful of dirt might have the right answer she sought. I'm aware, but you pointed out who you weren't. I merely asked who you were. Tell me, Granger. Malfoy's expression narrowed as he folded his hands on the table, leaning forward just enough to make Hermione consider purchasing a larger table. His voice was low, equally as serious as the glint in his eyes. "'Who do you think I am?' He was challenging her. "'You're—' She trailed off when he sat up straighter in his chair, waiting, watching. He was gearing up for a clash of words, 
a war he wanted to wage for whatever reason. Defensiveness? Maybe she had hit too close, but what's a target? Hermione had no idea. There were so many subjects they'd spoken about, and while she didn't mind arguing with him on some things, this wasn't one of them. So she took the high road. Honesty. But she left with something Kingsley had once told her. You're human, Malfoy, so only you get to decide who you are. Not me. Not anyone. Several emotions flashed across his face like bolts of lightning cutting through a stormy sky. They were gone before Hermione could fully decipher them, or even determine if his reaction had been positive, negative, or something in between. Then his focus rested on her, the line of his jaw tight as he stared at her with such severe examination that Hermione felt her skin prickle under his attention. But she didn't look away. Wouldn't. Couldn't. Not for the first time, Hermione wondered what was going through his head. Too lost in her own thoughts, she didn't realize she had been holding her breath until it was over. Then she exhaled it all in one go. It was only then that Malfoy averted his eyes, turning his head towards her plants by the window, mouth pursing. It's warm in here. True. Judging from the bits of color on his face and neck that she hadn't noticed before, he wasn't lying about the heat. Hermione preferred not to regulate the temperature in the conservatory with magic. It wasn't good for some of the plants. Heat was always trapped inside during the sunnier days like today, as few and far between as they were. Would you like something to drink? Ever the consummate hostess, Hermione didn't wait before leaving. Her exit was a little more abrupt than she'd planned, but she honestly didn't care. She needed the space. In a second unplanned move, before fixing two glasses of water, Hermione walked around her island three times to expend the restless energy that had settled into her bones. Probably from working on a weekend. That was it. That was all it could be. When she returned with the water, Malfoy had already rolled up one sleeve and was working on the other, which should have provided a visual of the tattoo that wasn't proper for him to even have. But the canvas was blank. Glamoured, Hermione reminded herself as she placed the glass in front of him and returned to her own chair. Malfoy thanked her the same way he did every morning when he, she placed a cup of tea in front of him, composed, if not a bit subdued. They drank in silence, but she noted the way he didn't drink his water until after she took a few sips of her own. When he finished, Malfoy adjusted his glasses and rested his joined hands on top of the parchment once more. "'Are we ready to continue? We have several questions left.' "'Yes.' From there, Hermione learned more about Narcissa, namely through incidents. The first time Malfoy recalled his mother forgetting, months before leaving Scorpius in the dress-robe shop. She'd called him Lucius several times before realizing her mistake. That had been nearly two years before when they were still in France. The timeline was worrisome. It made her wonder just how advanced the illness actually was. It would require more testing, and possibly a favor from Roger. He did owe her. No other incidents followed that for a year, until she berated one of Astoria's healers, accusing her of breaking into the house. That's when I knew there was something wrong, but she continued to ignore the issue. Is that when she went to see the first healer? Hermione recalled that was the one who had only recommended rest. Yes, by force. From there, they continued on. Malfoy made short work of her list, noting the questions that overlapped or were repetitive, much to her annoyance. At least until Hermione realized that he had a point. Not that she would ever admit it aloud. But it was forgivable because his responses had such detail in them that soon the focus of the interview shifted from the strict format of her 46 questions to them just talking. 
Malfoy's deep voice had a certain cadence to it. Still a posh and proper, it had an edge that it was all his own. But the rhythm was steady, pleasant. It wasn't horrible to listen to him. Unconsciously, Hermione found herself writing less. Then she gave up altogether and laid her pen down to strictly listen. It was fine. Her recorder would pick up anything she missed while she watched him. With his black attire and temperament that slid up and down, an invisible scale Hermione couldn't read, Draco Malfoy was such an interesting contrast in her well-lit, colorful room. Visually, he had a backdrop of light from the sun that was perfect position to cast a warm glow over him, making him look like darkness bathing in light. It was difficult not to stare, impossible not to notice. "'In case you haven't noticed, Granger, my mother likes to be in control of every aspect of her life, which stems from a period of time when she wasn't. She struggles with transitions.' A family trait, but Hermione kept those words to herself, only nodding while watching him. During Hogwarts, Malfoy had used to speak with bold and aggressive gestures, but time, and perhaps life and his mother, had curtailed the habit. Every now and then he would use his hands to emphasize his words, but not often. I've noticed, but I haven't sorted how to make her understand that she needs to scale back. He briefly glanced over his shoulder, scanning the room he seemed periodically bemused with. Society occupies her mind. It gives her purpose. She was active when we lived in France. As a warning, due to the change in season, I doubt you'll get much cooperation from her until her event. That was interesting. Not the last bit about her cooperation, but the former. From what Hermione knew, they hadn't returned to London until Astoria's condition worsened to the point where everyone knew and accepted that the inevitable was upon them. I was under the impression that her motivation to participate in society had less to do with entertaining herself and more to do with maintaining your family's name in important social circles and networking to find you a new wife. Malfoy gave her a dark look. It was. A twinge settled in her chest. She took a sip of water and changed the subject. The topic was too raw and the reality of the situation too harsh. I've only observed her at one event. As she had any incidents of forgetfulness that you've noticed when she's extremely busy or stressed? A few. Could you recount those incidents for me with as much detail as you remember, please? As it turned out, he could. He wasn't only that Malfoy was observant and analytical of the surrounding world. The way in which he picked things apart from the smallest detail, well, that was no surprise. She'd already seen him in action experienced it for herself. However... The penetrating knowledge of his mother, and the level with which he remembered details, now that had been impressive in a way that seemed impossible for him to be apathetic. Strained relationship, notwithstanding, Malfoy knew too much not to care. He'd been watching for too long to be casual and uninterested observer. She'd seen the way he looked when Narcissa had forgotten about the intruder. But whenever she so much as turned a soft eye towards the situation, he would lock himself inside his castle with such a severe expression that Hermione knew she had to go around, because climbing those high walls wasn't a possibility. Not without experience or the proper tools. And she had neither. Were there any changes in her incidents when she moving back to London? Yes, but there were several factors that could have played a role. As she listened to his hypothesis, Hermione found that she liked that Malfoy didn't speak in monosyllables, and hadn't in some time. It had made her job infinitely easier, and gave her a lot to think about. There were still things he hesitated on, or got defensive about, still questions he answered with a certain level of reluctance, but he answered them nonetheless. They had two left when Hermione heard her phone ringing. 
Pushing away from the table, she excused herself with a polite grimace. Sorry, it's probably my mother. She was the only person Hermione knew who used the muggle telephone. Not that she was in the mood to talk to her after dinner last night, but in the spirit of being a good daughter, Hermione did just that, leaving Malfoy in the conservatory to answer the phone. As it turned out, it wasn't her mother, but her father, and he had taken on a new role in their odd family dynamic, mediator. The position was natural for him, given his nature, but not one he had to assume regularly, as Hermione had done her very best to avoid arguments with her mother. "'You should come over for tea later. Your mother will be out.' It was a trap. Her dad wasn't a ritual tea drinker. "'I am meeting with a patient's son right now.' "'But it's Saturday. You never work on the weekend.' "'Couldn't be helped,' she said dismissively with a flourish of her hand, despite the obvious fact that he couldn't see her. There was a pause. "'Are you okay?' Because she knew what he was really asking, Hermione responded automatically. "'I'm eating, drinking, and sleeping normally. Promise.' "'Okay, then, but I'll be busy later. Another time?' Her father exhaled, which meant only one thing. He was about to speak his mind as opposed to executing this fake tea idea. Hermione, I don't always agree with her tactics, but your mother means well. She worries, and so do I. With a long sigh, Hermione shifted her weight and rubbed her temple with her free hand, closing her eyes. It was probably the most she'd heard him say in one conversation in years. Progress, but only after conflict. Ron isn't the answer to your worries. Never said he was. She almost dropped the phone in shock, only just managed to hold on to listen. Don't get me wrong, I like him. He's a good bloke, but it's clear he's not a fit. I try to stay out of it, as it's none of my business. But your mum, Hermione chuckled bitterly, has decided to make it hers. Right. Her father heaved a sigh. Your mother tends to blend ingredients without accounting for taste, smell, or consistency. Sometimes it works, and most of the time it doesn't. They say you have to try a new food ten times before your taste buds can decide whether they really like the food or not. But I say don't keep forcing yourself to eat something that you know isn't palatable because you might miss out on finding something that is. A single word slipped from her, one full of all the emotions she hoped she could convey through the phone. Dad. For the first time, he seemed to understand what she was trying to say. He cleared his throat, but still sounded choked up. You'll find something that works for you. I know you will. When she hung up, Hermione sat on the sofa for several minutes with her head in her hands, nearly forgetting about Malfoy in the conservatory. She concentrated on blinking back tears from the swell of emotions brought forth by her father's words. It took just a few more minutes before she got up and relished in the feeling, the connection, that continued on. But now the canyon between them didn't feel so wide or daunting. After a series of cleansing breaths, Hermione refocused as she opened the door to the conservatory, only to find a briefcase in the chair where Malfoy had once been. The man himself was standing in front of her indoor potted garden. His back was facing her, but his hands were behind him, as they had been when he'd explored her brewing room. Thoughts about the conversation with her dad took a step backwards as her curiosity stepped into place. What was he looking at? Her feet moved accordingly, carrying her to the spot next to him, Footsteps loud enough to alert him of her presence, but quiet enough not to disturb whatever he was doing. Not that it mattered. Malfoy didn't react when she entered his territory, nor when she stepped into the space next to him. A little too close, but it was too late. She was already there. 
The answer to her question was both that she'd expected and not. Malfoy was just looking, not touching anything. He was careful with his appraisal of her plans, just as he had been with everything else in her home. In truth, Hermione wasn't surprised. He'd been looking in that direction off and on for quite some time. Interest had finally got the better of him. She knew the feeling. How does a gardener have a dying cactus? He cut his eyes to the prickly little thing still on the table next to her ottoman. Because he's not dead, Hermione told him firmly. It just needs care. Ah, a project. His drawl was so deep that it sounded like it came from the earth itself. You still have those. Still a champion for the defenseless and lost causes. There is no such thing as a lost cause. At least not in my mind. If you care enough to try, anything is possible. Little things like time, patience, and attention can make a big impact. He said nothing, turning his attention to her. Malfoy examined her as if he were trying to figure something out. A riddle. A question. It was a look she had seen before. He seemed to want in her head without legitimacy. Unsettling as it was, Hermione held his gaze, eyes narrowed with the resolve, until he turned away. Move to the next plant. Change the subject. You might as well take a butcher knife to your plants with how you prune. Slightly rattled from his assessment of her, Hermione accidentally snorted at his snippy comment in a move that eased the tension she hadn't realized she'd been holding in her neck and shoulders until it was gone. First Narcissa, now her son. Apparently everyone wanted to criticize her pruning. You're an expert, then, she rolled her eyes. Is that a Malfoy family trait? Once again, gray eyes cut over to hers, but there wasn't derision in his glare. Just wait. My mother showed me how as a child in the manor's garden. We still have a greenhouse with rarities hidden under bloodwards. Well, that was fascinating. Malfoy reached out to touch the branch of her umbrella tree that nearly hung in his face. His thumb scraped the rough edges where she'd pruned only last week. You could use a softer touch. Is that so? He let go of the branch, moving on to a different pot she placed directly in front of the window. Unlike in her brewing room, that time Hermione went with him, not wanting him to contact anything he had no business touching. Judging from the questioning lilt of his head, it was a plant he hadn't seen before in a pot nearly the circumference of the table. The leaves were thick, healthy, and a vibrant green. Open. Mimosa pudica, commonly known as the touch-me-not, Hermione informed him. I use it in a bomb for Luna whenever she's traveling. She tends to end up in poison ivy or oak. She fondly shook her head. Though the name implies otherwise, you can touch it if you'd like. Hermione didn't move at first. Then his hand came from behind him, one finger tentatively leading the other way to the plant. He was hesitant and careful, but he wasn't doing it right. Without thinking, Hermione stopped him by resting her right hand on top of his. Malfoy tensed, but she ignored his reaction and continued on, shifting her stance and guiding him. Her free hand rested lightly on his back as she urged him forward. His skin was warm, maybe from the room. She was surprised to find that his hand felt rougher than it looked, fingers curiously scarred on the tips, with light marks that weren't ready to fade away. "'It's sensitive,' she said in a voice that was so low and soft, but confidential, as she guided his finger up the spine of the plant. They both watched leaves fold together just from his touch. "'If you touch it wrong, they'll close up too early. Ruins the effect.' The small hairs on the back of Hermione's hand and arms stood on end when she peered up at his face. Only, 
He wasn't watching the demonstration. He was watching her, with another one of his unreadable expressions, that made her feel as if he were trying to peer into the very core of her being. It all came together slowly, but in a rush that was as contradictory as the man beside her. Their position. Her hand covering his, the other on his back, the way he'd tensed. Hermione all but threw his hand back at him, stepping away several paces. Her cheeks were warm with embarrassment. Um... She ran a flustered hand over her hair as she turned, heading towards the table. We have a few questions left. If you're ready? Malfoy said nothing for a moment. I'm ready when you are, Granger. When she glanced over her shoulder, Hermione expected to see derision and disgust all over his stoic yet stern face, but she found something completely different. A sight that should have been private. Malfoy glanced at the hand she'd touched. Nothing strange there but then he flexed it before making a tight fist. The muscles in his forearm bulged and rippled, shaking under some strain. Then he relaxed, stared out the window for several seconds, and returned to the table, moving with ease that belied the tension she still felt. By the time he sat down, Malfoy had returned to his default neutral state. She knew he was inside his fortress, its walls high and strong. Except for the smallest crack. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Leonard Cohen